Hey, Louie. How you doing, girly? I'm doing good. It's it's after Labor Day. It's kind of... I, and I'm wearing saying, white. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a murderable offense. I know. That's God. According, according to John Waters, execution. Execution. I mean, honestly, to be killed by either John Waters or... Um, Kathleen Turner? Kathleen Turner. Phone. Please. <laughs> please take me out. That's the way I want to go. People keep saying it's the fall now. It's just after Labor Day. It's not would, technically the fall yet. Would we say well, these are down. the official dog days of summer? I mean, I get. I don't really know what that means outside of the Florence the Machine song. Okay, well. <laughs> Our dog days are over. That's the... Gavin, you didn't even yes and me, girl. You said fuck this joke specifically. Yeah. <laughs> I, I picked that up at the UCB theater. <laughs> Everybody's like, yes and, and I'm like, no, thank you. No, period. <laughs> uh, hi, everyone. Welcome to the Mixed Reviews. We're a film podcast where we take a film subject, such as an actor, director, or a mini genre, and we take two weeks, do as much research as we can, and we spit all that information back out at you, and then we tell you what we like and what we don't like. Gavin, not spitting, not yeah. in the wake of the news, okay? <laughs> Straight it's, from Venice? Yeah. Spitting? It is It is a very hairy... <laughs> hairy situation. Yeah. Yes. I think he did it. Yes. I'm saying it. On air, right now, I think he did it. I saw it. Come out of his mouth into his lap. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm not uh. right on our ex subject um, or former subject, Chris Pine. Can you believe the disrespect? Believe? <laughs> um, okay, obviously we are not alone. We are uh, joined by a guest. I mean, you, you couldn't hold back with with the news. No, I, I mean, this is breaking. No. Um, but everyone, please welcome. Uh, it's Alec. Oh fuck! I didn't ask you. Is it Brizard or Brizard? Brizard. Brizard. No okay. worries. Yeah, it's very, it's, yeah, very French. No, everyone gets it wrong. Sometimes I'll tell people it rhymes with Charizard. Oh. So that's like an easy reminder for for people my The age. funny thing is, is in um, my brain, I kept thinking it sounds like Charizard. And then I was like, does, can't yeah. possibly. <laughs> can't, can't possibly. Yeah. And yet here she is. Uh, well, thank you so much for being here. Um, listeners, you might know Alex from The Circle. Um, you also know him from Two Dudes Watch Cartoons. I got to say, I was watching some Circle because I love The Circle. Um, mm -hmm. It's the dumbest show I've ever seen, but it is <laughs> so satisfying to watch. I, I, uh, I, I like mm -hmm. that you're like, compliment, compliment, read. <laughs> yeah. I don't think anyone would argue that the circle is like highbrow oh. television. Okay, I, I will no. say this: so the the circle is um, a reality show I love, which is totally not my thing because my I like if I watch a reality show, I want competition. I want people mm -hmm. making fucking outfits. I want them making food. I want them making like that is my jam. And so for years, I resisted this sort of thing. And then I saw on Netflix it pop up, and I was like, you know, my mom's a big Big Brother fan. I wonder if this mm -hmm. could unite us. Mm -hmm. And it totally fucking has. So I love I like love the circle. Like I watch the circle and then call my mom to talk about it. And I am a grown <laughs> man. I am the oldest man in this Zoom chat right now. <laughs> um also though, it must be said on this season of the circle that you are on season four, the fucking spice girls were on. Yeah. Like yep, correct. Yeah. Like literally what? <laughs> I know. I was just as shocked. Like, that was honestly my response. They don't show much of it in the moment. I'm very like, oh, my God, because my brain has literally <laughs> melted. Yeah. I was like, there's no way two of the Spice Girls are actually here. And lo and behold, they were here and I was chatting with them behind yeah. a fake profile. Yeah. It's uh it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and so, yeah, I uh, I still just can't believe that. And you know what? A little bit of spoilers. They fooled me. They fooled me completely. <laughs> I had no idea they were smart. it was them. So, 
yeah, it was fun watching that back. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, at first I was like, why are they here? And then like immediately Emma, Baby Spice, she's like, oh my God, I love the circle. That was the horrible <laughs> accent, but she yeah, I was like, was oh, she's, <laughs> she's a huge fan. I was like, the only reason why celebrities would like do stupid shit like this is because they're huge fans. And so that was really yeah. cool to see. Um, so you guys should go watch the season of the circle. If you've fallen off, now's the time to come back on because mm-hmm. it's wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to mm-hmm. say, you, I, and I've seen you address this, so I'm not telling tales out of school. You've sort of labeled, been labeled or labeled yourself a villain of the season. And like, you were mm-hmm. absolutely one of my favorite players. So, like, I think nothing wrong, found innocent, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's the way you play the game. I don't understand. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel. I, I grew up so, like, you were talking Big Brother, Survivor. These are like shows that I've been watching since I was six years old. You know, they're just like part of me. So, the cutthroat, the strategy, that's always present there. So, I was like, I'm going to go on the circle and I'm going to bring some of this. And I knew deep down, part like some of the stuff I would be doing would be divisive. I knew it would be considered villainous. But, you know, there's also part of me that's like, like you said, this is how the game should be. Yes. Like I thought there'd be so many people that would be like, yes, finally. But man, uh, Circle fans were just not ready for what I was uh, serving there today. Honestly, <laughs> you didn't come to play. You came to slay. I, right. I, yeah, that's right. I do have one final thing and we'll move off the circle because that's not why we're here. But and, and <laughs> I've signed a plenty of NDAs in my life, unfortunately, because that's what you do when you're in this industry. But how is it? Since, you know, I don't really want to ask too much about the circle. How has your life been post the circle with, you know, this sort of, I don't know, like, what is it like yeah. being on something yeah. <laughs> that anybody can watch? Like Netflix is multinational. It's all over the world. Yeah. No, that's a great question. Because for me, uh, like I said, I was, I was just a fan, you know, for so much of my life, 28, 29 years old. And to go to the other side, it's, it's very surreal just having like, you know, I'm not going to name names, but like reality stars I've been watching for years, like reach out and be like, oh, my God, that was so amazing. Like, it's just it's like nothing I, I could have ever prepared myself for. And so it's been a, such a crazy experience. And like you said, it's international. So I get DMs from, you know, good and bad ones from <laughs> people all over the world. Sometimes I got to Google Translate them, but uh, I get nosy, especially if they're from different countries. So um but, you know, some of the apps have these nice translate features. So it, it is really cool to know that um, it's like an international thing because a, a lot of TV shows are very um, subject to their own, you know, country and borders unless you're uh, illegally streaming things. But Netflix makes it available for around the world. So that was something, you know, I have a ton of people that reach out to me from Brazil Ooh. and I, I, I love it. I, I have so many fans in Brazil and it's the funniest thing. They always let me know they're from Brazil in the first <laughs> message. They'll type out this long one and nine times out of 10, it ends with I'm in Brazil with the, with the Brazil flag. And I'm, I love it. I, it's so great. Cause I have, they appreciate what I was brought in. A lot of Americans were like, I can't leave. You would do such a thing. That's so then, wild. Like people international. Yeah. That's a while because like Americans, like LOL, we're not nice. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's what I what I what I realized is a big majority of Circle fans watch it for um, 
like the online connection of it and like you know i'm the guy they warn you about on the internet <laughs> right like, right the, correct the guy that's lying to you and just telling you what you want to hear and then talk and mouthing you behind your back so a lot of people online don't like that being represented even sure. though i was like you know i'm, I'm trying to win some money here yeah, I'm like i don't care what's going on <laughs> i gotta say i'm excited you are our second reality tv personality uh trana she went on Celebrity, no Big Brother, Big Brother Celebrité, yeah. Big Brother uh, Celebrité. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do I know what the fuck anything happened on that show? No, because it's all in I, French. I literally for, to follow Trana's journey on Big Brother Celebrité, I had to go to the <laughs> like French Canadian Wikipedia yeah. and Google Translate <laughs> that shit. Yeah. But she did very well. So welcome, Alex. Nice. Thank you so much. Um. Oh. <laughs> How could I even forget? Hello. Uh, we have some old business to get to before we start talking about today's episode. So our last episode, we talked about the mm, juicy, delicious, wonderful, underrated Colin Farrell. And we asked you guys to go onto Twitter and vote for your favorite movie. And here are the results. Uh, in last place was A Home at the End of the World with 7.2%. Uh, in third place was Phone Booth, my chaotic choice for the poll, but I don't care. But I don't care. Uh, came in at 11.7%. Uh, in second place was The Lobster. That was both Gavin and Mitchell's pick. Also my secret pick because, damn, that movie fucking slaps. Oh, yeah. With 34%. And in first place was my actual pick, In Bruges, with 46.8%. Uh, so uh, clapping's all around for everyone. Um, <laughs> you you win this round, Rendon. I do. <laughs> and I do. Um we also have like some Colin news because he has his new movie um, with the Imbruge family out in Venice right now, and people are clamoring for Oscar noms and all that good stuff. So, to Colin, we say good luck. We will see you at the movies, gal. Um, <laughs> but okay, that's enough with Colin. Alex, Just put him away wet. Yeah. Um. <laughs> what? what? Too much? What? what? <laughs> Have you never heard that phrase? It's a phrase. It's a, yeah. Okay. It's, it's a thing. Uh, Alex, please, why don't you tell the audience why we are here today? Why have you gathered us across um, the space-time continuum to talk today? Yeah. Well, uh, this is a, an exciting topic for me. As mentioned earlier, I have a podcast with my best friend called Two Dudes Watch Cartoons. Uh, you know, the title says it all. We just And now what do you do there? Talk about yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We brought and you so here for not... some investigative journalism yeah. about your podcast. <laughs> That's right. So um, today we're going to be talking about Disney, but specifically we're going to be talking about a, an era in Disney that um, – you know, fitting to the podcast has mixed reviews about mm -hmm. it. Both good and bad things are said. We're going to be talking about the Disney um, Bronze Age, also sometimes referred to as the Disney Dark Age. Yes, absolutely. It's like uh, it's fitting for Gavin because it's like spooky, you know, just like Gavin. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, a lot of these movies are Disney's first like attempt at something spooky. Very, if you like. Yeah, yeah, very true. Very true. I like floated this topic to you, A, because our Disney Renaissance episode is one of our most popular episodes and mm -hmm. people love their tunes. And <laughs> but also, B, I think it is outside of the Renaissance and maybe like what's sort of happening, the the like current era and all the stuff that's going on with the revive what they call the revival era. I think it's the most interesting time in Disney's, you know, sort of canon because oh, yeah. 
you what you're getting is you're getting a time that is specifically post Walt himself because he dies, yep. and then you spoiler move in, alert. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, he dies at the beginning. It's very rare. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and then you you enter this era that is both. Uh, innovative and interesting, and the style of animation is changing. But also, you're getting these decisions. Decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. <laughs> I'm RuPaul. <laughs> I've made some decisions, <laughs> and you're getting these decisions that are being made strictly by businessmen, yeah, and not necessarily mm. by creatives, which is like a good and bad situation for Disney, the company, to be in. Right. It was almost like this is. Disney, the company, is stepping out in front of Disney, the person, um, mm. largely because he's dead, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but also because, <laughs> yeah. you know, Disney, the company, is expanding beyond cartoons. It's become, like, places to visit, and it's, you know, become, uh, you know, live action movies, and it's like a, it's a brand. It's not just, you know, like, this Hollywood uh, animation studio anymore. It's, it's, it's become bigger than the man um which you know good things and bad things um (laughs) but for this time specifically uh you know there's a lot of tumult we talk a little bit about i mean i feel like we've kind of talked about or around this subject both in our renaissance episode and our dreamworks episode yes because fucking jeffrey katzenberg is back again (laughs) we get we get to we get to visit our good old friend jeffrey katzenberg a man that doesn't know about us but we know all about him yeah (laughs) correct correct um so alex why you know what what were you thinking like tell me a little bit about like how you how do you know the disney bronze age yeah, that's a good question because so uh, the the subject gets brought up to me and I I instantly am like you know I guess I've heard the term but like what movies are really part of this era and so I look it up and I was like wow why are some of these kids why is this the dark ages because there's some really iconic movies yep. in this in this era and so um, for me it's really funny these movies all have the same connotation these are things. I watched at my grandparents' house. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like old VHSs they had from a long time ago, or um, something that I would have or slash rent from like Blockbuster at my uh, dad's house, who for a while was like a single dad. When you know my parents are divorced, I would go over there and we'd always go and rent movies. And sometimes I, I, the Jungle Book was one I think we actually had, and I think that was one of my most like played movies growing up. And so it was like almost disheartening when I saw it. I was like, no, why is it in the dark ages? I was like, that doesn't make any sense. So for me, this, like I said, I had a very abridged version of the Disney history. This was so fun for me to really dive in and like take a look at like, you know, the reality TV drama of it all. Yeah, it yeah, like, yeah. People were mad. They were shading each other. There was decisions made. Like there was some exciting stuff going on that, you know, they could have made a whole uh, TV series about. So um, it, it is interesting to hear the, um, you know, the political ongoings of the company and how that's uh, manifested creativity, uh, creatively in their projects. So. Yeah. There's so much scholarship about all of Disney. And so I was just like going through all the YouTube videos, all the like the articles and whatever. And <laughs> people were like, LOL, Disney just called like everything a masterpiece. Like now it's yeah. like everything's a masterpiece. <laughs> and it's like to go back and watch, you know, I don't know, something like Robin Hood or whatever, where it's like, I'm not saying Robin Hood's bad, but it's like a masterpiece. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, it's really funny 
to go through all these stories and like we're gonna get into it but some parts of this i'm like is this just pr nonsense of them saying yeah. like or is like <laughs> you know or is it corporate greed like you know there are a lot of different things that we'll get into about like reusing you know some of the artwork yeah. the way they split up some of the movies like stuff like that it's like they're like oh it was this because of artistic reasons and it's like or mm. it feels like <laughs> cha-ching. There it is. Um, but okay, let's let's get into this because I'm I'm excited. I think there's a lot to talk about here. But let's get into our rewind. Okay, so first point of contention, um, Alex, you mentioned the Jungle Book. Mm-hmm. Are we including the Jungle Book in the Bronze? Age? That is. I have it, seen it both ways. It's like it, it's, it's it. loosey goosey. Yeah, because. Walt Disney dies in 1966. Let's start there. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. This is like a Vita. We're starting at the funeral. Yes. We're announcing yes. in the theater Walt Disney has died. Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, and so the Jungle Book is released in 1967. Um, so he, you know, Walt is still very involved in the making of this movie. Um, I don't, I mean, like, and to your point, Alex, like the Jungle Book just fe- feels like wrong to be in the dark eight like air because it's like it's fucking good you know like um it was funny though real quick side note when i was going through and rewatching all of these with my girlfriend which who watched most of them with me i could not stop calling the jungle book the bare necessities i was like (laughs) we gotta finish the bare necessities i was like i mean the jungle book which had it come out in 2015 that would have been the name yeah it would have been called the bare necessities (laughs) (laughs) you're so right if it was a dreamworks movie the bare necessities (laughs) necessities. (laughs) for me i I'm, i'm not including jungle book just because it feels like so a part of that last era of Walt being involved. And, you know, he was obviously around. Right. To me, it's the, the bridge. Yes. To to me, it's the perfect capper to the silver age. On top of that, it, did gangbusters in terms of profit right and i don't want to be like oh, profit 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 but <laughs> that's how you be gavin that's how that's i how... be and just like money 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 um <laughs> but that's also a theme throughout this era true is they're very focused on the profit of these movies right. so i understand why you bring it up because also this is like their benchmark now right, right? exactly that's the thing is this sets the new level for them they're like oh yes. these are our animated films can be something big which is funny because there were rumors and I'm saying I'm couching this as rumors because, you know, I don't want any legal action against me. (laughs) Disney himself was considering getting rid of the animation department because he had become Mm. so invested into the theme park aspect because he'd become so invested in the live action part of it. And he also Mm. didn't like the way the movies looked anymore. Like he thought 101 Dalmatians looked like shit, you know? I had heard that. I didn't hear that. He thought about canceling it. That's crazy. It is crazy. Um, it is, but I think I think he truly believed, hey, we got these residuals. Also, one of the things, one of the crazy business decisions that actually worked out in Disney's favor for the most part, they created scarcity when they created their animated films. Right. Because what they would do, mm-hmm. it, you know, this a lot of this is pre-VHS, a lot of this is pre-home viewing. They would take their movies and they'd be like, well, we're going to lock them in a vault. And yeah, they wouldn't yeah. be anywhere for 10 years. And then they would re-release them in theaters, sometimes under different names. And that I'll talk oh. about that later, too. But they would make more money. So a lot of times you're seeing the profit, you know, the total gross on these films is 
because, you know, it was released in 1966, but also 1974 and also 1982. Right. And that's why, like, I remember, I was like, why do I remember watching, like, some of these movies in the theater? It makes no fucking sense. It was, as a kid, you don't fucking know that this is, like, an old ass movie. Like, you know. Yeah. The first animated film I ever saw in the theater was Snow White. Don't make an age joke. Stop yourself. (laughs) (laughs) It was the the 80s re-release. Sure, Gavin. Yeah. (laughs) That is so smart, but so annoying. It's like the same problem I'm having with like Spider-Man No Way Home. They re-released it with 11 minutes extra. (laughs) And I'm just like, really? But that's just the Disney move. Apparently they've been doing that for ages. I had like a mind blown moment when I realized, you know, Disney was so resistant to home viewing for a long time because they were making so much money with re-releases and then they did vhs obviously i I mean i remember same with you alex i had a bunch of these um videos at home clamshell cases yeah and but they would (laughs) re-release those and say like oh they're going away forever and then like you know they're back buy it now blah blah blah. what blew my mind is realizing that that is happening again right now with these fucking live action remakes like yeah because now videos are basically no more like re-releasing right. is not a thing you know they're like how can we re-release them again what if we just make them again but as live action and like yeah. the corporate nonsense just keeps trickling down through my it's 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 kind of gross nikki um but i guess <laughs> it's just like always been a part of this bullshit and be very careful because they're also recreating it through streaming because without physical media, a lot of <gasps> streaming services are now able to add or take away whatever yeah. they want. Oh my yeah. God. What if they're, like, they're going to take it away yeah. and then we're not going to see it for another 10 years. And they're going to be like the re-release of the live action jungle book. Right. And, and, and you're going to have to like pay for like Disney plus plus or some shit oh to like watch it. Oh my God. It's, it's a cycle with them. And, you know, this is a little off track, but what I've noticed is, um, you know, with all these old Disney things is they're like half musical. And I was like, oh, you know what? I was like, they don't really do that anymore. And I was like, oh, they kind of do. Like the Disney stars of back in the day were movie slash yeah. music stars. Like they've always combined movie and music. It's it's really interesting that like despite <laughs> generations of entertainment, they, they do have like some core principles to them that they stick to <laughs> right i mean i um i went to the oscar museum or the academy of oscar Ooh. or what the fuck in la over the summer and they had like <laughs> that's whole... its official name is whatever that the fuck they called. decided <laughs> on? I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't care enough to like know the real fucking name i just know it's really cool if you get a chance to go out you should go out and see it um there's a whole section that's dedicated to animation and there's a in that section a part about how musicals and animation just work together so well because they are all about um you know, breaking with uh, reality, you know? Uh, yeah. And so, yes. Anyway, to bring it back, um, there, you know, Walt Disney has died. There is drama. Um, his son-in-law... The football player. The football player. Um, he is now in charge. He is the head honcho. And for a while, he's just like, well, let's just do all the old ideas that, like, Walt wanted to, like, do and, like, we'll be fine. For me, and I think we can just say the 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 Bronze Era starts with the Aristocats in 1970. Mm-hmm. Um, the Aristocats has kind of like an interesting backstory. Um, you know, for a while they wanted to make this as a live action like um, show. Uh, this is what you were saying is they were very focused on the live action. Yes, many of these properties that they had were things that Walt was going to make into a live action thing. Yeah. But his son was like, oh, just make him an animated. Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, I 
love Aristocats. Um, it, yeah. It's unfortunately is a little bit racist. Um, <laughs> but I think it's the closest in like feeling and style to like the Silver Age. It, it obviously just like yeah. has a lot of influence of uh, Walt. I think it was like directed by Wolfgang Reitherman, who's one of the yes. nine old men. Mm-hmm. A lot of- it, it, it's funny because he sort of takes over... Right, and, and this isn't fully one hundred percent factually correct, but he sort of takes over Walt's place in terms of animation. While he's not really the head of the animation department, he is the one sort of spearheading these ideas into animated features. So he becomes the sort of de facto director of like the next three films, right? Mm-hmm. And and like so, I think a key part of this era also is that these original old night men are dying retiring moving on with their lives and careers and the influx of new folks um causes drama we get the aristocats and uh it's cute it's you know i i really like it i mean it's i'm like i'm like i think it's like how, how how in depth do I need to get into the Aristocats? It's fucking cats. They're rich. They get stolen. Yeah, yeah um. they're they're, they're friends. Uh, I, two things I want to bring up because you did you did bring up the racial element, so we might as well uh, enter into that area. When you watch it on Disney Plus, if you watch it on Disney Plus, you do not have yeah. to. I'm sure there's other ways to acquire it. The there is a brief, the briefest in the world, like three mm-hmm. paragraph warning about the racial depictions in it, and I will say it's up for less than ten seconds. And as an editor, I cannot stand that because the key <laughs> to like written words on screen is that you can read it twice before it leaves the screen anyways i digress <laughs> i wanted to ask you gavin because i rewatched it not on disney plus but i watching it this summer I, i've seen it a billion times as a kid you know i re- like what's also funny is watching these movies is like remembering which lines you remember which is so fun mm-hmm. um and, and you know so like the basics is you know there is a rich woman and she has three cats they're all kind of like froofy, fancy Parisian felines. Um, they get stolen and uh, they meet an alley cat and um, he's black. Like, basically, he's black. Like, that's yeah. the thing. He <laughs> is a, it, I mean, okay. I, 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 mean, I mean, I've never interpreted it that way, but that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, I, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he is. As a kid, you don't. Yeah. You don't. I, it didn't come across i never thought that as a right. kid but when you're watching it back this time i totally get what you're saying yeah. you're just like oh how did i well, completely miss this? if you put your head into like the late 60s early 70s and these are you know refined floofy parisian kitty cats and they find you know like this street cat who right. is like mm-hmm. cool and he's like they're like wow is that like whatever i take is the road i make it's the road of life. Make no mistake for me. Yeah, Abraham DeLacy, Giuseppe Casey, Thomas O'Malley. O'Malley, the alley cat. That's right, and I'm very proud of that. Yeah. <laughs> Bravo! Very good. You are a great talent. Well, thank you. Groovy, man. Like, that's all, you know. And and it's it's supposed to be set in the jazz age. And he, right. like, clearly yeah. has, I mean, he, like, brings them to uh, right. Scat right. Cat, played by Scatman Crothers, who was actually supposed to be um, Louis oh, Armstrong. Louis Armstrong, but Louis Armstrong was too yes. sick. 
And so they brought Scatman Crothers to play Scat Cat, which I think is funny that it's like, why didn't? And they were like, do a Louis Armstrong impression. It's like, yeah. fuck yeah. you. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that thing of like, you know, these white kids are like they go to the, the you know the house where there's all these like cats of color essentially there's mm-hmm. I, I would say the most egregious like it's the is, yeah is the asian cat like the it, asian cat it, it is fucking that's, that's why the movie carries the warning right. and the only thing i was going to say about the warning is i just don't i i think a warning is good i think a warning creates conversation and i think the conversations where it's at there's a great like brief short that they occasionally run on turner classic movies about blackface and the the you know you have professors discussing the importance of talking about this stuff and not hiding it as long as you're able to contextualize it and have these conversations there's no excuse in the present digital moment for remaining in darkness about the histories of these films, the histories, the cultural histories that they reflect. Showing the films does not mean that you're basically saying it's all right. You're just showing a film as it was and and as problematic as, as it may be. You can have conversations with people about these things too so that you don't just consume them in isolation, but instead become curious and really studious about understanding where they come from. On the other hand, part of me also thinks that like when it's too egregious, you should be forced to watch it in a library. <laughs> <laughs> but the but I I think, you know, when when Looney Tunes did the re-release of a bunch of their cartoons in the early 2000s, they got Whoopi Goldberg to uh, create these sort of PSAs at the beginning to talk about the racial implications of some of these. And I think that's the way to do it. I think putting up a, a small thing, like a little thing for 10 seconds at the beginning is maybe not the best route, but that might just be me. Now, some of the cartoons here reflect some of the prejudices that were commonplace in American society, especially when it came to the treatment of racial and ethnic minorities. Now, these jokes were wrong then and they are wrong today. But removing these inexcusable images and jokes from this collection would be the same as saying they never existed. So they are presented here to accurately reflect a part of our history that cannot and should not be ignored. My reading of it, I guess, is like if these were all people and, and to me, like they, they, they are, they have like the personalities like it's. A lot of these movies are like, you know, if we look all the way to fucking Great Mouse Detective, like they're they're people. Um, mm-hmm. But I digress. I, I, you know what I'm just thinking about? All these movies are extremely like international, though. Yes. What like, I, I'm blanking to think of any of them that would actually take place like in America. Just Oliver and Company. Like, just Oliver and Company. Yeah. And the and, <laughs> the last one. And literally the only reason Oliver and Company does, and I was gonna save this for when we get there, but like it only does because they were like, well, 101 Dalmatians was in England. Yeah. And Aristocats was in Paris, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And then, uh, the, uh, yeah, this is crazy. Now that I'm looking at my list, they're all and the, the rescuers. You know, there's people with accents. There's yeah, the rescuers. There is it, you it know is, they but are it's like a fictional like because they're like it's on the it's near Florida uh-huh. <laughs> and there's a UN. <laughs> but even then, there's a whole UN component yes. to it. Like it's in an international feel, and you know, I kind of. Like, uh, you know, racism aside, I do like that, like, part of it, if that makes sense. And I'm just looking at the my list as a whole of all these right, movies. Right. They take place all across the world. Like, not we're half counting the Jungle Book, but that's like in an Indian forest. Like, right. Robert, you know. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I think I was going to ask you, Gavin, though, like, 
to me, and I just don't know enough about this, but like late 60s, early 70s, I feel like there were a lot of movies where like white people were like, quote, discovering black people, you oh, know, yeah. like, yeah. like I mean, yeah. that, I mean, that was just like, they were like wanting to like dance to their oh, music. No. They wanted to like, everybody? you know, go to the club where they were going to like, I feel like it was such a uh, snapshot of the time period. Um, and it is really representative of what was going on. Okay. So the Aristocats comes out and it's like it makes some money. It doesn't make like a bunch of money, but like, you know, it's successful enough. Um, You're right, though. It also has the most feel to the Silver Age. Right. The further, obviously, we get away from Walt Disney. That's kind of like the timeline is not necessarily Walt dying, but like what projects was Walt involved in? Right, I feel right. like the, that's where it really starts to drop. And, and it's interesting, too, because this also solidifies for them because it makes enough money. That it proves to them that they should start using this new process that they used on the film, which is yes. the Xerox animation. The Xerox animation allows them to print uh, line drawings directly onto transparencies. The fox and the hound will require over 200,000 individual drawings. For the bear fight sequence, about three minutes of film, 8,000 drawings have been Xeroxed onto cells that will be hand-painted here in the ink and paint department. Each cell is painted on the reverse side, and every character is assigned a specific color. Which then can be overlaid, and this had not been done before, but because it's it... revolutionary. Exactly. Unfortunately, because the process, and it ends up not being great, and there's other processes that are brought in shortly thereafter... It, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't become the the main standard. Yeah, yeah, the standard. Yeah. But also the problem it creates is it, it starts creating these thicker lines. And people have started to notice that. These sketchier looks to these Disney films. And people start associating that with a cheapness. Uh, we're not there yet. It doesn't look quite that way in Aristocats. But the next two films, mm-hmm. it's really starting to become more apparent. Right. And so the next one is 1973's Robin Hood. Um, which was kind of something that had been kind of floating around for a while, also um, from when Walt was around. Um, Mm -hmm. This is the first film, I think, where I remember as a kid watching this and being like, this looks very familiar. And it's because this is a movie that um, recycles a lot of uh, animation from other movies. You got a lot from The Jungle Book, with like little John, little John literally is Baloo. Is Baloo. Yes. Yeah. Voice and all. It's the same voice actor. Yeah. Looks so similar. The animation is the same. It was wild. The, I'll say this was one I had seen as a uh, as a child. And I really liked this one as a child as watching as an adult. This one was kind of rough to get yeah. to again. I this one. I, I did not enjoy it as much as I did as a child. It's funny. You know, I I read some like different things about why they reused animation um clearly like the, the most common thing people said is like they were cheap they would need to money. save money there was like some interview with one of those animators or whatever saying like back then people were not watching these movies over and over again they would not right. know mm-hmm. they would not like you know they could not go back and watch jungle book and be like hey wait a minute that's the same thing if people don't know does it make it okay <laughs> right, right exactly I mean, yeah <laughs> and and but this animator also said which i is probably fucking a load but he's like 
we were just really proud of our work and we wanted to keep showing it over and over again. Right. There's there's so many different there's so many different versions of that story because I've also heard other animators say, no, it's actually much harder to like reanimate right, right. over another animated sequence. And it's there's like no way. It's like, is it? Yeah. So you guys decided to make the work harder yeah (laughs) they said like robin hood's girlfriend what's uh, made marion like that that entire dancing sequence is snow white snow white and she's snow white and the rest of the animals around her are all the cats from the aristocats it's crazy well the the snake his number the Uh, the king's right hand man was literally the same snake from the jungle book and ready for this what sort of snake is hypnotizing people (laughs) like this why is that such a common thing I had no idea that hips were or snakes were uh, great hypnotists. It is. It's very common. You've you've yeah. just you've just never <laughs> been to the jungle and or medieval England. That's no, just... clearly not. <laughs> um, I think my favorite part about Robin Hood is actually um, the king um, because yes. he's such a whiny yeah. baby. Um, he was literally sucking his thumb. Yeah, <laughs> he's so funny. So that is Peter Ustinov, who I absolutely love. And he ended up getting the role because Disney loved his, like Disney when he was still alive, loved his performance in Blackbeard's Ghost, which is a film I talked very briefly about in our Ghost on Film episode. And he is such a cad and I fucking love Peter Ustinov. So like, just wanted to give him a shout out because he's he literally steals that entire movie. My trap is baited and set and then revenge. Ah, revenge! Shh! Not so loud, sire. Remember, only you and I know. And your secret is my secret. Stop! <laughs> Stop hissing in my ear. Yeah, Just yeah, the he, mommy. Yeah, <laughs> oh, mommy. <laughs> yeah. Next up, we have the Rescuers in 1977. This movie was very successful, like abroad. Weirdly, like it mm-hmm. made a bunch of fucking money in Germany and France. We talked about the Rescuers down under right. in our Renaissance. Uh, episode for this one to me I, I think i had seen this maybe once this was not like a regular rotation one but this was one my girlfriend had seen a ton and so it was really fun to watch with her while i didn't remember it and it had some weird parts in it it was very enjoyable to watch yeah. uh, as uh, as an adult i i really enjoyed it the story was fun um you know like i said those uh, the two evil villains are like pretty evil to like kidnap and endanger a small child like that genuinely There's, like some really bad villains in this era yeah like, not like bad like uh they're not well developed like story-wise or whatever like they do like truly heinous, heinous things heinous. And, yeah and i do want to actually i do want to bring up something that we sort of glided over on the aristocats so on the aristocats the reason the cats are kidnapped in the first place is because th- this old woman's going to leave all her money to them. And their but- the- her butler Edgar. is like, Edgar is like, <laughs> I deserve this money. But he like doesn't want to hurt the cats. Right. So he's he like, wants to so- drown them. Oh, no, he wants to. <laughs> He wants to just get rid of them. He doesn't. Does he actually actively try and drown them? Well, he like. Well, we don't know because he gets thwarted by these two dogs. Right. Yeah. I think I think that his idea is like he's just trying to get rid of them, but not kill them because he does love them. We have a darker take on it. I thought he was trying to eliminate the kids. (laughs) Because Um, then at the end, he's trying to just mail them away. He's doing Garfield normal Abu Dhabi situation. That's true. But in this film, you get. Uh, Madame Medusa and uh, yes that's her name Madame Medusa so the rescuers are based off a series of books and they decided you know Mm -hmm. uh, it was going to be like a live action world of Disney movie which I think is bonkers because like mice what mice hello (laughs) Um, and (laughs) it would have been Stuart Little before Stuart yeah exactly (laughs) Um, and then 
they, you know, it gets turned over. It goes to the animation department. They and one of the animators cleverly comes up with the idea: What if this is a sequel to Hundred One Dalmatians? That's right. And and so literally. Madame Medusa starts off as Cruella and yeah. there's all these great sketches of Cruella in like alligator skin jackets and whatnot. <laughs> and then they decided, no, like that's kind of a cheap, like don't do this continuation. Also Disney himself was pretty opposed to sequels. We'll see how that turned out. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> they didn't wait very long yeah. after he died. Also, that's like such a Marvel move now yeah. to have the same villain in multiple yeah. movies. They were just, Disney, once again, ahead of the curb. Exactly. Unified theory um, idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, but and so but she is a truly, truly monstrous human because she's like, yeah. let's sacrifice a child just so I can get a diamond. Yeah. <laughs> and she has pet alligators. Pet alligators. <laughs> Even She's scared of mice, but not alligators. Yes. She's like. That's called comedy, Louis. Look it up. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't know anything about it. Mm-mm. In most of these movies, there is always like the the evil villain. And then there's like the Bumbling other idiot. villain. Yeah, the fun villain that like makes you more sympathetic to them. Almost, or like, yeah, he's and the so sidekick. She has, is it her? Yeah, is it her husband or boyfriend? I don't remember exactly. I don't know but who he is to her. He's just a, bu- a buttling idiot and he can't get anything right. And what was atrocious to me is she was like, you've been down there three months. And I was like, you're telling me they send her down in that right. hole every day for three months? Yeah. That's, like that's as an as a kid, you're just like, oh, man, they're villains. But like as an adult, you're like, that is like lock them away for the rest of their Truly. life. Truly. That was your brilliant idea to use a little girl for this caper. If you left it to me, I'd Snoops. Have... You're not thinking. No, I know. I know. She's the only one small enough to squeeze down the black hole. Yes. But why can't she find my Big diamond. I don't know, but but just look at these beauties that she brought up from the cave. Oh, they'll sell for a lot of cold cash. Ow! Oh, I wish you wouldn't do that. She's insane. The opening credits, it's beautiful. There's a lot of orphans in this era. Yeah. And a lot of, like, songs and, like, stuff that's just about, like, sadness. But, like, about, like, just believe, babe. Just believe in your dreams and you won't be an orphan. And luckily at the end of the rescuers, for no reason, whatever, she gets adopted, which good for her. But um I just still I'm not I'm not a I'm not a fan of believing into being adopted. That feels um <laughs> disingenuous yeah. we just covered on my podcast apple uh tv's yes. new movie luck where an orphan literally they like try to tell you like being adopted or not is based on luck mm. so i think that one's actually a little Jeez, worse yeah, than believing. Somehow, somehow i'm like how are you gonna say that to these orphans that's terrible so oh uh, you didn't get adopted <laughs> bad luck babe <laughs> that's unreal unreal to me so um, I do get in the sense that while a, a lot of these movies have a dark tone and I think um, and it's coming up in this next movie we're going to talk about. But so this, um, you know, after Walt Disney dies, I think there's a lot of creative people that are like, all right, I'm not going to be dad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're like, I'm going <laughs> to do something different and edgy. Right. So the rescuers comes out in 77 mm-hmm. um, and it's a big year because. Uh, that year, also, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh comes out, which is kind of like a weird one just because it is three featurettes that are packaged together and released as 
the movie you, that you know this was my shit as a child <laughs> same as a baby yeah i think my mom put this on repeat for me i have so many winnie the pooh memories and and we had like a bin full of winnie the pooh like cassette or not yeah. cassette vhs yes and so this one was such a joy to go back and like watch it not where it all began well yeah kind of where it all began it was it was really cool and like everyone knows the mythos of winnie the pooh and the hundred acre woods and christopher robin and so um yeah you know what it, it made me excited for the new winnie the pooh horror, horror movie, movie. Oh, God. i'm not gonna lie i was like <laughs> i kind of want to go see that yeah take that copyright law <laughs> so winnie the pooh is a little bit uh weird just because it, the first one, Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree, was released in 1966. Disney allegedly was like, I, let, this is going to be so smart, guys. Let's release these as shorts, uh, like, you know, and build um, a fandom, and then we'll release a movie. Other people might say, well, Disney was a shit show in the 70s, and they said, uh, let's just put these all together and, like, make some money and, and call it a movie. Make a movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. It's probably a little bit of both, maybe. Um, but... Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree, um, and it's Winnie the Pooh and Tigger Two and Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day. Those are the yes. three shorts. Uh, Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery mm-hmm. Day was the last actual piece of animation that uh, Walt oversaw, and and that mm-hmm. uh, short won um, the Oscar for best animated short. A lot of those, like individually, those had been released before the sixties, right. you know, and and but the whole movie that we see today um, isn't released until seventy seven. So that's also, the same year as The Rescuers. Um, this is not, this is only tangentially related, but Pete's Dragon comes out, 77, yes. which is a live action movie with animation a la Mary Poppins. And um, oh. it doesn't uh, make as much noise or, you know, have as much acclaim as Mary Poppins or Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Yes. I'm not going to talk about it, but just to say that 1977, like that just kind of shows you that they were like, right. Live action, live action. And people were like, the animation was the best part of this fucking movie. And, but the, the budget was so cheap that they didn't do a lot of it. One of the fabled things that people talk about when they talk about Disney animation is the nine old men. These were the nine men that the originally founded the company with Walt. They were his animators. They were, they drew everything and whatnot. And as the company grows larger, it becomes much more of a factory. You know, there's the, the whole union thing, the strike breaking mm-hmm. and the, you know, the, the, the dark side of Disney. But these nine men stayed throughout most of their career. And as you're entering this era, not only are you losing Walt, you're losing these right. men who like really define this company. And so I did want to give a shout out to um, at the beginning of The Rescuers, uh, they meet an old cat yeah. <laughs> who, <laughs> who is designed to look like Ali Johnston, mm. who was one of the nine old men. And he is my favorite character in the entirety of Rescuers. Let me tell you, I agree with you. Everything you said about the orphanage, but honestly, when he's like, when he was like, "You're good enough," like you're you're gonna get yeah. adopted, I was like, "She is gonna get adopted." <laughs> <laughs> like, so trust me, their charms do work. But they choose the little redheaded girl. She was prettier than me. Oh, she couldn't be. You know. You listen to me, darling. You're something extra special. No, I'm not. Why someday a mama and a papa will come to the orphanage you're looking for a pretty little girl just like you? Honest? I'll bet my whiskers on it. This is the beginning of you see the new class, and these are the people right. that are going to bring about 
the Disney Renaissance, which we talked about in that previous episode. And these are people like Glenn Keane, Ron Clements, Andy Gaskill. These are, you know, they're all known as the and new guys. Don Bluth. Yes, and Don Bluth. Ever and, fucking heard of him? And interestingly enough, <laughs> this is the movie where Don Bluth starts to consciously uncouple with Disney. Right. And right. the big the big story is that, you know, when he was working on the rescuers, uh, he noticed a lot of scenes. Sometimes they would have whites of their eyes and sometimes the characters wouldn't. And he was like, can't we just go back and, and add the whites? And he was literally told mm. by Wolfgang uh, Reitherman, no, it costs too much and it takes too much time. Money, and, money, money. Exactly. And so he and another animator went in on a weekend and did it for some of the scenes and came back to Reitherman and were like, it's no, it, it, yeah, it doesn't take too much time. It doesn't take too much money. And Reitherman nice. was like, literally, like, why can't you just listen to directions? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah. There's just so much feuding during this time yeah. from everyone. The the old guard is still trying to hang on. And the new the new school people, they're trying to, you know, become relevant and, and at this historic company. And there's pressure to make money. Right. At this time. Because they haven't made as much money from the jungle as the jungle bug. And and the, the rescuers is a surprise hit. It's actually one of the biggest yeah. money makers of this era. Right. So at this moment, there's only five of the nine old men left who worked on. The rescuers. You also see, you know, when the movie starts, Don Bluth's name there, uh, Ron Clemens is there. There are these new guys, and they don't think that the old guard has a vision for Disney. They don't mm-hmm. see the leadership the way that Walt Disney had. They are young, they are hungry, they are ambitious, they have a vision. They think that they know best and want to keep pushing Disney forward. And, you know, it's just like it's growing pains. Uh, they're trying to figure it out. So, after uh, the rescuers, here we're getting into like darkness territory, like real, yes. <laughs> you know, things are not well. Um, the younger cohort is like, what if we make the Black Cauldron? And but then the execs are like, mm, nor uh, <laughs> they and they instead push them to make the Fox and the Hound, um, which was you know, a, bo- a book of rights from a book that they had gotten like a decade before they were sitting on it. And they said, well, we have this, let's make this. I did find that there's a conspiracy theory out there that this movie is actually based on another book. It's another <laughs> book about a Fox and a, and a dog. Um, and it just more closely aligns because th- this movie is just ages away from what the actual book, the book is. Yeah. They changed so much. Yeah, like I would say 90% of the book is not this movie. The movie is very like <laughs> one, two, three. I mean, The Fox and the Hound really is like the breaking point. It is. It's literally when Don Bluth marches into their office yeah. and is like, I resign and I'm taking 14 animators with me. Yeah. Yep. He said goodbye to you. Um, marches out because he's like... There's a big feud. I, I wrote down yeah. that a big point of contention, which I think is so funny, is... Um, they, so in the movie, there's the old dog chief, the young guard wanted him to die at the scene where I think he breaks his leg and every old, they were like, hell no, that's too dark. (laughs) People will cry and cry, which to note, my girlfriend did sob while (laughs) rewatching this. Like years later, she was bawling her eyes out when, uh, granny had to take, uh, the, uh, Todd to the forest. Um, and so I can only imagine. Yeah. I can only imagine if uh, Chief had died, how how right. much that actually would have I think, the, <laughs> changed I think also it's worth noting that 
this movie suffered creatively and like behind the scenes, but also like on the film, like it looks bad. <laughs> I was reading this book. Um, While you're looking for that, I also have a note that this is, you know, the first film that Walt Disney had zero input yes. in like a- at all. And so I, I think, you know, these young animators, they really want to prove themselves right, right. with this movie. And they feel like they're like, you know, being edited and stifled, like creativity and <laughs> creatively. And I get it. Like the idea is that it's not it's not that they're just like hungry for dog blood, but they're they're like looking <laughs> at the history of Disney and they're seeing things like Bambi in which the mother dies. Mm. And the argument that the nine old men made or the five old men at this point made is that Bambi's mother wasn't a main character and it's like you're telling me mm-hmm. that that his mom's not a main character that's yeah. <laughs> scarred so many children um the book mm-hmm. was demystifying disney by chris pallant or pallant whatever um and they they it's funny you mentioned bambi they he he compares it to bambi and you know how in bambi the forest is like luscious and moving and it draws you in deep on this movie it's very just static like the action takes on top of the forest um and it just feels less rich than um you know like movies like bambi um fox and the hound i don't know if i had ever seen in full watching it for the first time i just thought it kind of was like i i read it like very gay like i just thought it was very gay i've seen that argument online I, and can't I can guys be friends, Louie? No, they no, can't. No, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean... <laughs> sorry, sorry, Alex, you're on a podcast with two queers no, at the moment. So I, like, that's fine. <laughs> no, but I just think, like, it's very much the thing of, like, you kissed a guy in middle school, and then you guys go to different mm. high schools, and then you meet up at a game, and then suddenly he's, like, hot and popular and straight now, and doesn't want to hang out with you, and also might fucking hate crime you. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know what? Well, that's a good good comparison. Yeah, I, I although Todd does end up with a lady at the he end. He does. But I, other than that, I think you're spot on. I other mean, than the thing was, that he is. It was the seventies. So it was the seventies. Yeah. You know what? And in the seventies, that is how a lot yes. of those stories would end. Yes. Exactly. Is Todd would end up with a wife just to be like, okay, I guess that's where the, I gotta do. I liked I liked it enough. I I think that the young guys were right. Like that fucking dog got hit by a train, fell off a bridge into yes. like rocks and shit, it's and came away with a broken leg. I thought leg. he was dying. I thought he was dead. I thought I, he was dead. I, I will say dying. that animation that they had to add in of his eyes opening and closing yeah. while the 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 uh, the dog. What is the so it's Todd Chief. and oh uh copper C- copper, copper. Uh, well copper's like sniffing him and it's like Chief Chief. It like it's mm. bad. It's bad animation too so like you can tell somebody was like i guess yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> they reluctantly made him alive they're like, ah. right they're like i guess we'll fucking keep this guy alive um but i it really like undercuts for me a lot of the i mean that part but then even like this is the vengeance they're trying to seek afterwards right. would make so much more sense right. if Chief had passed away. But also, like they're gonna go get him because he broke his leg. Yeah. Chill out, right. he's gone. <laughs> but also, like the ending of this movie, spoiler. But like, it's. I mean, should we explain that the first part of the movie is about a fox and a hound who are, are friends? Like, yeah, the ba- a baby a fox. fox gets rescued by an older woman and mm-hmm. becomes a domesticated animal, which I also think is shitty that she drops him off in the forest after like one right. incident. But she, she domesticates this fox, and he it becomes more than one incident. <laughs> and um, not to be people's advocate, yeah, you're, but it was you're a lot like, of you know what? She should have just killed that fox. Yeah. 
She's, no, yeah. The next scene no, you just saw her was with a nice pelt, and she's yeah. just like, do you like my new fur? <laughs> um, you heard it here first. Alex Broussard of The Circle, no. big fur advocate. <laughs> um, but uh, the, yeah, so it, it so she domesticates a fox. He becomes friends with a hound dog because neither of them realize that they're supposed to be prejudiced against each other. It's big nature versus nurture argument and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And, and yeah, and then they grow up. The, the, the hound dog's, you know, owner takes him away to teach yes. him how to be a hunting dog. And so he comes back with literally a fucking truckload of dead foxes. Yes. And like a magical black woman owl is like, hey, honey, don't you know? Like, he's going to fucking eat you. I will. And I will. Todd, no, Todd was so optimistic. He's like, nah, yeah. not cop. Right? He's going to be my best, fr- he's gonna be my best friend forever. <laughs> and like, also, by the way, like kurt russell being like yeah i'm great and then fucking mickey rooney who oh, like yeah. i'm sorry don't care if he's a hollywood ed- legend can't act no. his way out of a bucket yeah. um <laughs> but anyways uh i i will i will give a a shout i realize that pearl bailey is maybe not being used for the best purposes in this movie as big mama the owl i think i do think it is kind of caricature yes but i mean she's a magical knowing all-knowing owl who yes. like uh, absolutely that's the problem uh but she, i i watched this special that they did around the time that was actually about the black cauldron and it was hosted by Haley mills which sidebar is also really funny because she's like they want me to be the princess in the black cauldron spoiler alert she's not and <laughs> <laughs> they got her to host an entire special uh, but, but they showed her at some of pearl bailey's recording sessions and getting to watch this footage of pearl bailey record her song and like live it and as the animators like sitting there sketching her as the owl while she's doing it i was like this is cool like this yeah. had to be a cool mm-hmm. moment for pearl yeah. bailey you know pearl as big mama i feel that the sequence is entirely from your viewpoint this is me right big mama ha! <laughs> i never thought being out uh, big chip on the shoulder salt in the whatever like it's this fucking 70s like i'm not gonna judge them through like my 2022 eyes um she does a good job like pearl bailey is a fucking icon and legend um but like it's that that movie just like rubbed me in a lot of different ways and maybe just because i was like this the story does seem like it could have been so so good but also i was like they have these two fucking birds as the comedy and like <laughs> one is literally the voice of tigger like yeah one is just tigger it's yeah, just, tigger just tigger as a bird and i was like y'all thought we weren't going to like this was <laughs> 2 years he ago like woody woodpecker yes it's <laughs> yeah it's 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 sloppy doppy um, because of the, the walkout with Don Bluth and all those animators like literally Disney loses a third of their animation team. Right. They have to push back the movie from I think it was supposed to come out in like Christmas time. It gets pushed all the way to summer. Um, and it's just not, you know, again, like minor commercial and critical success. Um, this is like the beginning of what could have been the end uh, mm-hmm. because up next they're like, fine, let's do that stupid black cauldron <laughs> movie. Um, is this what you want? youngins? Yeah. <laughs> the black cauldron is almost like immediately rife with drama. Um, <laughs> I, from the jump, from the jump before they even jump, Tim Burton <laughs> does a bunch of like uh, sketches for this. Tim Burton is one of the youngins on uh, with Disney at this time. And he, you know, for a while, it's just like, and we talked about Tim Burton in our Tim Burton episode. 
Um, but you know, he's just like doing what people are telling him to do. This is the first right. time he did. Like, okay. He worked. He worked on Fox and the Hound, but right. like mm-hmm. not in the extent that he, you know, yeah, not in the creative sense. He was like a monkey for hire. Like he was drawing yeah. shit. So yeah. they're like, oh, let's do some designs for the Black Cauldron, um, which is was supposed to be like this Lord of the Rings esque epic grand thing. Um, it's based on the Chronicles of Prydain. Um, which is like a series of novels. Um, the the title doesn't actually have a question mark on it, but I did enjoy it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man, I, one of my notes is this movie went through five different yeah. directors. Yeah. Yeah. So can you believe that? Right. And what I was going to say that um, Tim Burton um, is fired. Uh, essentially, they're like because uh, his all of his uh, and you can find his sketches for the movie. Like they are tim burton sketches they look like tim burton shit and they're like okay we're going for weird but not that weird actually (laughs) (laughs) um and and at the same time you know this is not about don bluth and bluth productions but like don bluth is like all right bitches let's fucking make secrets of nim um and they are pushing animation in a completely different direction and i think um don bluth has even recently said he's like i wanted to make disney better by giving them competition um and so this movie is uh disney's like first pg animated film um oh this is, I didn't this is also the era um walt's son-in-law is booted and tooted okay yep. <laughs> uh and this is where we get fucking Jeffrey Katzenberg. <laughs> so essentially, Disney hemorrhaging money. Mm-hmm. Um, corporate raiders start to like come after it, and I don't know if anybody knows what that means, but literally, companies are like, "We're going to force you into a position where you don't have a choice but to accept a buyout offer from us." And so, right. takeover attempts keep happening, and you know, the shareholders themselves turn against Miller. And the thing is, is like Miller's not doing anything crazy other than losing them money but he but he's like a big proponent of early computer computer animation he's the one who greenlights tron he's the one who was like backing tim burton he paid for tim burton's animation short vincent and frankenweenie and so like he was the person who like starts the gears in motion for who framed roger rabbit which ends Mm -hmm. up even though it's not really part of either of these eras ends up really informing a lot of the decisions made during the renaissance era right but the Roy E. Disney, Roy's uh, Walt Disney's nephew, who mm-hmm. is the surviving son of Roy Disney, and he does a hostile takeover of the company, and him and Stanley Gold and shareholder Sid Bass oust Miller in favor of bringing in Michael Eisner from Paramount, Frank Wells, and Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was essentially started out as Michael Eisner's assistant and then became mm. his, like, sort of uh, underling. Lackey. <laughs> you lackey, yeah. Uh, have you guys ever watched uh, Succession on HBO? Because this is, is exactly <laughs> like the, a season of Succession. Oh my god. This shit is so wild when I was reading it back. We need Succession like the Disney years. Like, it's yeah. just like the Disney <laughs> yeah. film. When you said that earlier, you were like, I'm surprised there isn't like a show about this. I'm like, they would <laughs> was... never allow that. It would have to be about a company called Risney. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Disney <Risney>. family. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. This movie is like almost fucking done. And then Katzenberg is like, well, let's edit it. And they're like, what? Li- literally... <laughs> goes to a, a a press not a press screening goes to a a, a test screening test screening test. thank you 
goes to a test screening, sees children screaming, crying, running from the theater. <laughs> what is what is the meme? Vomiting, screaming, yeah, crying. Yeah, throwing, like, a, throwing, throwing up. Um, and is like, this is too dark. And is like, I I want to make cuts. And they're, Disney's animation department is like, absolutely not. That is not how we make animated films. We do test sketches and recordings. And like, once we get to this stage, we don't editing. Jeffrey Katzenberg... The little drama queen that he is. Yeah, and he's from, like, live-action movies. So, like, he's, like, in his realm, it's, like, if the movie's not out, we can fucking edit it. Yeah. Yeah. Seizes the film. Seizes the film. Brings it to an edit room. Starts cutting it himself. This man is not an editor. (laughs) This man is just cutting film out. And you can see it in the final product. There's, like, music cues that don't match up. It's, like, very Mm -hmm. sort of disjointed. Yeah, Michael Eisner had to, like... Like, the animators basically went to Michael Eisner, who he had to fucking tell Katzenberg to back off. He had to put his leash back on Katzenberg. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, And, you know, Black Cauldron is... It's weird because for such a fucking complicated, fucked up, like, everything, the story is the most basic. Yes. (laughs) There's a cauldron. A king wants to get it to do evil things. Um... A kid and his it pig so tried to make it not bad happen. Watching back, it was so boring. It was so boring. Ready for this fact? It is also Disney's most expensive yeah. animated yes. yeah. film yeah. to date. Yeah, forty-four yeah. million. It took them forty-four million. Yeah, yeah, forty-four million dollars to make this hot pile of garbage. I, <laughs> it's so bad. I don't hate it as much as either of you. And yeah, yeah, whatever. Dark Soul, whatever. <laughs> I know. Uh, but, but but like, I will say, I think there's some really beautiful sequences in here. And I think there is some stuff that's like really, not the obvious stuff, but like really informed by Sleeping Beauty, which is actually my favorite Disney animated film. But on the other end of that, there is stuff that's too informed by Sleeping Beauty, mm-hmm. like the fact that the princess in this movie is the almost the exact same character model as Princess Aurora. Looks just like her. Fucking Gurgi. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know a more annoying fucking character. Like Jar Jar Binks <laughs> who, okay? <laughs> he like he wants so bad. Munchies and crunchies. And <laughs> He was such a dick to him for no reason, though. He's like, he, obviously, he's just hungry, wants the apple, yes. like, chill, dude. But, like, he was like, I'll never see him again. It was so, uh, every time he spoke, I was like, stop. It's oh, my so God. It's so uncomfortable. Come on, the apple, let's have it. You horrible, greedy thing. You should be ashamed of yourself. Oh, poor miserable Gurgit deserves fierce smackings and whackings on his poor tender head. I was left with no munchings and crunching. It was very weird when he was like, give us the precious. Oh, wait, no, that's that's somebody else. That is exactly what it was like. Um, I think an interesting thing to note is this is the first ever film that used a computer to do any sort of animation. So while they spent so many years on this film, technology evolved enough that they could use a computer. Because it was like half half of the team was working on The Great Mouse Detective. Like Ron Clemens was at work on The Great Mouse Detective. And their team was like using um, computer animated nonsense for like the big, big Ben scene. And basically the team over on Black Cauldron were like, hey, we can use some of that. And so like there are little bits and pieces here. It's kind of fucked up though, because like (laughs) there are so many like interviews and trivia things where like people ask. It it, it feels like Disney is like 
Black Cauldron doesn't exist. You know, this yeah. is... <laughs> I this mean, is... So, so much so that they waited an entire decade to even put it out on video. And this is what I was talking about earlier with the changing the name of something. This was one of the first films that they re-released under a different name. Correct. In hopes that it would make more money. So... Was they, it Taryn, was the name? Taryn and the Black Cauldron? Or? Taryn and the Magic Cauldron. <laughs> the Magic Cauldron. You, Black you is don't want to think it's too dark. Right. Uh, they crazy for that one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Very that's that. That's insane. You, I, think, you think you could fool those dumb little kids? <laughs> this is also like, it's not a musical. No. Not at all. No. Not at all. Um. um it, and I thought I would appreciate that, but I didn't. <laughs> Watching it back, I, I, it was this one was hard to watch back for me. I just was like, "This is like Lord of the Rings, child, like a child re- rewrote Lord of the Rings almost." Like, right? But the editing is bad. Like that is an interesting fact I didn't know, but it makes so much sense because it's very like the the pacing feels off. Which, granted, some of these older movies the pacing feels kind of weird, anyways. But this one was like very noticeable to me. I don't know. Um, it's crazy to me that this was their most expensive one. When I saw that, I was literally my eyes jumped out of my head. And it was a, just a huge, huge bomb. You know, I think yeah. it made like twenty something million bucks back. Made like, about half the money back that it spent. If Fox and the Hound was the beginning of the end. Yeah. <laughs> fucking black cauldron is like rock bottom um th- once again you know everyone is like are we just gonna like fucking shut down animation at the same time you know touchstone pictures which is disney's like live action imprint has been growing they're making tons of money with like splash and like this live action stuff you know they're not seeing the benefits from animation anymore critically commercially like it's just all mm-hmm. fucking disappearing um, they have one final movie like ready to go, and that's The Great Mouse Detective, um, which had its name fucking changed because Jeffrey Katzenberg was like, ha, 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 I don't think so. Sherlock is not hot right now, so we got to make yeah. it kid-friendly. We got to make it for the kids. Um, and and this is directed by Ron Clemens, who would go on like to do <laughs> directed Moana, Hercules, Aladdin. Oh, like oh. He's a big boy. Those are great. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. This film uh, really looked new to me when I was going through my rewatch. This was the first one I was like, oh, this looks um, more modern. And then I realized, oh, we're in the 80s now. Like, you know, things are getting more. So this era, you know, it starts end of the 60s or, uh, you know, at the 70s. But um, Disney animation is taking punch after punch for for (laughs) about a decade or so, almost two. Right. And so The Great Mouse Detective like luckily thankfully is a big success um it makes a bunch of money um i again this is one of my blind spots hadn't seen um it's it's it 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 brings back like it's a musical um it it kind of brings back the like classic tried and true uh gay villain (laughs) Um, absolutely (laughs) radigan is a swishy swishy little rat uh, it's so funny too because they were initially going to make him completely different, and then they saw Vincent Price's recordings of the of the voice and were like, "Oh no!" They were like, "Let's make him very effete." Love Vincent Price. Oh, me um, too. Uh, I mean, big fan. Yeah, with the- that one blew my mind. This one, I, I don't know. I had seen this as a child. There's like part of me 
that was like, I think I had, but when I was watching it, I remembered none of it. So <laughs> I was like, first time viewing for me, this one was enjoyable. Um, like you said, it kind of has more of the, the Disney feel and the elements to it much more than black culture. Right. I forgot to mention like earlier, you know, the animation studio literally was like kicked off the studio. They were in fucking portables. Like I I wasn't sure if we had gotten to that part. No. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Morale was just like really fucking low. They got kicked out of their offices and put in like, I don't know if you guys remember, uh, back in like elementary school, there'd be like one class that had like the, you had to go outside and they were in like those like outdoors door portables that yeah and i was stunned i was like one i was like these this is disney like when you disney yeah yeah portables disney yeah you don't think of them like penny pinching like this like what is all going on and for such like their animation department is like historic monumental like crown jewel for them and they're out in portables like unbelievable yeah morale is very low for these animators i do want to take this this is feels like the perfect time to bring this up one of the things that made michael eisner so attractive to disney was the idea that he would be saving money because he was known famously for Mm. being both very cost effective very cost effective but also being very you know creative he he pushed for a lot of projects at paramount that paramount didn't believe in and then ended up making them huge money that they didn't spend a bunch of money on but most famously was the eisner paramount manifesto i'm just going to read this real quick and this is quote from michael eisner we have no obligation to make art we have no obligation to make history we have no obligation to make a statement but to make money, it is often important to make history, to make art, or to make some significant statement. In order to make money, we must always make entertaining movies. And if we make entertaining movies, at times, we will reliably make history, art, a statement, or all three. We may even win awards. We cannot expect numerous hits. But if every film has an original and imaginative concept, then we can be confident that something will break through. <sighs> Sounds like a fun guy. Fun guy. I cannot believe that. What he just said is he's like, look, we're here to make money. If we make history or art along the way, whatever. Wall Street. It's Wall Street. Literally, it's Wall Street. Greed is good. Like, I mean, it's he was like, we'll accidentally make art sometimes. We might make a statement (laughs) here or there. People remember our shit, whatever, but we got their money. It's like, did they buy a ticket? That's what matters. Yeah. <laughs> and what's wild is at the same time, you know, Don Bluth is making an American tale, you know, right. like he's mm-hmm. working with Steven Spielberg, the most powerful man in Hollywood at that point in time. Like, right. And Steven Spielberg is making his first animated movie, like, which is a huge deal. Right. And so it just and Disney is just like tanking in like street cred. <laughs> like, what is going on? They've gone full That's corporate. an appalling statement, though. That's like actually appalling for him to go on record and, and right. say such things. You can believe that. You don't got yes. you don't gotta like say it. This was an official company memo. This was a thing. Why are you telling that to everyone? Um, I, I also do wanna say you mentioned how Jeffrey Katzenberg was like, no one likes Sherlock Mouse. Like what <laughs> it has to be the great mouse detective. Um, studio executive Peter Schneider passed around a, a like informal in-office right. men- memo that was just generic titles of other Disney names, such as Seven Little Men Help a Girl, The Wonderful Elephant <laughs> Who Could Fly. <laughs> the, 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 the little deer who grew up the girl with see-through shoes but <laughs> two dogs fall in love puppies taken away and a boy a bear and a black cat all wow. of those would then become jeopardy clues later on 
What's wild is oh. like, what's wild is literally that they still do that. The fucking f- frozen tangled. Like, yes. yeah, fuck, that's what I meant by if, if, you know, the jungle book had come out, it would just be called bare necessities. 2015. Yeah. Yep. Um, that is hilarious. Just the level of pettiness. Petty, like you said, like, petty, 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 it's petty. it's an email you send to just your friends, but <laughs> right. it's like a, it's a secret memo yeah. back then. Like that's, that's so a side funny. Slack. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like send it to the cool memo group. <laughs> the Great Mouse Detective was a critical and commercial enough success that yeah. the executives were they like, oh, okay, then yeah, let's keep doing this. Fine, sure. Um and they get pitched essentially. Oliver and Company. Um, Katzenberg essentially had wanted to do an Oliver something yes. over at Paramount before, so they were like very. This blew my mind. They were very. This was based on Oliver Twist. I feel so dumb. I knew <laughs> Oliver Twist. I gave it and away. I had seen this movie as a child, <laughs> and I watched it again as a adult. Like, oh my god, this is just Oliver Twist. Famously, I hate Oliver Twist. I think it's a terrible <laughs> oh, book. Okay, Fuck Dickens for writing it. I hate every version oh. of it. Except for Oliver and Company, which what? I please, yeah, sir. Except Can for I have Oliver some and Company. More? <laughs> yeah. Wow. That, like what the that's become historic? Fuck that noise. Please, <laughs> so Oliver and Company was known as the first, you know, Disney animated movie that was set in the then present day. It's set in nineteen eighty eight. It's set in New York. Um it's a musical. Which I thought that's so interesting. I feel like for some reason, as old as these movies are, Disney was like we're going back even further. Yeah. Well, I guess they weren't old at the time. They, they're mean, old to us I mean, now. There's, yeah. People make the arguments that like the Rescuers and 101 Dalmatians are set contemporary, but I think that's like, yeah, like come on, not it's not, <laughs> at least not as obvious as Oliver and Company. Right. I don't yeah. fucking like Oliver and Company. <laughs> I <laughs> think I don't it, love it. I don't. I'm not like writing love songs about it. It was but, not the strongest no. on this entry. What? It was kind of surprising to me. To hear this is what like got them out yeah. of the dark ages because I was like oh okay like this was a hit I guess um it just uh you know what and so yeah, maybe I side with like the younger like Disney people I'm like I like when they take more risks even though I wasn't a big fan of Black Cauldron I want them <laughs> to take more risks I want them to do more creative things because this just felt um you know like formulaic yeah kind of like boring not boring because boring is not the right word because it was enjoyable but it was like it predictable i guess you know what i mean yeah it was just nothing revolutionary literally you know, some of the, le- <laughs> literally some of the animators said another fucking dog movie yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i i just think like you know, so of note this is the first movie that we get howard ashman working yes. on um he writes a song it's the opening song it's like once upon a time in new york city which yes. is sung by mm-hmm. huey lewis in the film so I think that song is fucking crazy. It, uh, it again is like, if you dream it, you'll get adopted, you little cat in a box. Yes. <laughs> it's like how it is very like what the fuck? I I it doesn't make any sense as the quote I want song, um, which you know Howard Ashman will perfect in the next movie that they make. But like for this, it's like this cat is just thrown in a box and like yeah. left out there, and the song is like. You gotta believe, cause you're in New York. It's like, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? Um, 
it is interesting I, you know um the the voice cast of this movie i was just gonna say is, i also think it's it's famous mostly because it's like the first yep. time that they full out stunt cast like usually you get one or two celebrities in a disney film but this yep. is like Billy Joel, Cheech Marin, uh, Cheryl Lee Ralph, Bette Midler, Dom DeLuise. The only time Dom DeLuise did a Disney film, and he truly thought he wasn't going to get a chance to because he'd worked so much with Don Bluth. Even though I'm not a fan of this movie, when I watched it with my mom, and the the cue for, um, what what does he say? If this is torture, then chain me to the wall. Yes. Like that float out of my body so effortlessly. You knew it ready. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> of all the things I remember, that's it. I um, remember it well too, which like as a white kid, not as good coming from me. <laughs> you can't you can't do the accent. I, I can't. can't do the accent. <laughs> Legally. <laughs> um, but you know, I uh, this I also think that the kid in this movie, Penny, looks a lot like fucking Jenny from uh, The Rescuers. <laughs> they look so similar. I was like, excuse It's lazy. Me. It's lazy. Um, <laughs> like, how is it, it? I'm sure it's saving them money, but is it saving them that much money? <laughs> that like, I oh my God. And, you know, I guess they're not in the age of social media. Like they said, like, no one noticed. Like, it had been years since right. they saw The Rescuers. So, right. I it's uh, fortunately they for weren't them, expecting the age of streaming. Right, right. I will say, you know, so the movie comes out the same day as The Land Before Time. The Land yes. Before Time oh. beats it at the box office, and that was the first time that a, a direct right, animated so. competitor had beat them at the box office. But oh. in the long run, um, Oliver and Company does end up making a hundred million dollars, which is the first animated movie to do that. I think. Yeah, um, that's crazy. So it made more than enough money for executives to be like okay let's keep doing this and you know what let's make that little fucking movie called little mermaid um which yep. gets us out of the bronze age and into the renaissance and it's funny because this is when katzenberg is like we're gonna take up disney's original dream and do an animated film every year and for those playing the home game we just did eight films in two decades right yeah. so the disney was not doing a film every year but katzenberg was like that's what we're gonna do Yep. That's crazy to think because it wasn't even like they were doing a movie every other no, year. No, it was like sometimes. every like, four years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So all of a sudden to just be like, yeah, we're doing it every year. That's that's right. I that's mean, and Oliver and Company, like also it's worth noting that they used um, the CAPS system, which we'll see later on, like yep. in Rescuers Down Under. And um, I will say, I think it looks like shit in this movie. Yeah. Like I, I thought it didn't look great either. Like the entire beyond... I know it's a fucking animated movie with talking animals, but like the Is idea, <laughs> but the idea of a full size car in the eighties going down into the subway in new york is fucking bonker like i was like a car would not fit down there at all guys like you didn't like that that was my favorite part no, I'm I, 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 like, and like, I was just talking to my cat who talks yeah. back to me and he said no right that would never happen but also that entire section is they use this caps motion kind of graphic right. thing yeah. you can tell it's it, different it, you can tell it's different but also it just looks very bad i'm like and a part of me is like this would have just looked better if they just animated it like right. they would have just mm-hmm. drawn this it would have been more detailed and looked nicer and um money yeah money and i like i yeah. don't want to be one of those people that says like hand-drawn animation versus computer animation what's better and what's but i will say there does after watching all these documentaries about animation and research for this, and there does feel like there is a little bit of 
personality lost, I mm-hmm. will say, because these hand-drawn animators were like sitting there watching their own faces in the mirror. So there was a feeling that as you started to work on a scene, that you'd sort of, in case you, you had a contact with the magic that was behind the drawing, not the drawing itself as much, but this whole feeling of this is a room, this is a forest glade, this is a rock, this is a castle, whatever it is that you're drawing, here's your character in it. And you had to be able to see your character working in three dimensions, going in there and living in there, and you wanted to live in there. And if the phone rang, you it's like a real dream. You know, it's hard to come out of this concept to pick up the phone and think, where am I? What, what's going on here today? Hello? Who's this? You know, I'm a person who works primarily on a computer as an editor. Like, I don't animate, but... And, you know, you there is an element of just, like, kind of just button pushing or going through the motions. And, and I'm sure a lot of that ends up happening on computer animation that maybe you didn't... You don't have the opportunity to do that when you're drawing frame after frame of the next motion. Right. It I, doesn't have the love in it. Yeah. You can feel it. It doesn't have that love. I mean, I and that's that the special ingredient. I, you bringing up luck is a great example, especially because of the ousted Disney connection, yeah. which I'm glad you talked <laughs> yeah. about. But like that movie itself, just like looking at that movie, I was like, like, I don't want to take away from anyone's artistry, but like, oh my God. <laughs> I, yeah. One last thing about Oliver and Company, and then we can get into our picks. I just want to mention, this movie, all of the songs are written by a different person. Yes. So there is no oh. connective tissue between them. And so even though they all sound aggressively 80s, the style and, you know, the the, the thread of, like, say, something like Winnie the Pooh that was, you know, written by the Sherman Brothers, you know, like all the... A lot of Oliver and Company just doesn't work for me because it feels like a fucking corporate mashup. It's like yeah. a bunch. Mm-hmm. There's all this fucking like product placement. I can see that. Oliver and Company wraps up the Bronze Era, the Dark Ages, whatever of Disney. Um, I don't know if there's anything else to mention in the rewind. For well, we it just feels a little bit like, and I don't want to. I, I don't want to like say that we're being so negative, but like it feels a little bit like the ending of Empire Strikes Back because you're left with this feeling because Oliver and Company was. Katzenberg's gamble like literally the great mm. mouse detective was already in the works before Eisner right. Katzenberg mm. came in and this feels like you get to this point this succeeds and the bad guys win yeah yeah <laughs> and, that's the, and, yeah. It, and it does it, it tells Disney uh, yeah. like we just need to be in it for the money which once again i don't think that's what howard ashman's deal was i think howard ashman was as close as you got in mm-hmm. terms of creativity to a contemporary walt disney and i think had he lived longer there definitely would have been uh, i think disney might have been in a more interesting area or gone in a more interesting direction and losing him was a great big loss for the company but truly it does it feels kind of like you're left in this place mm-hmm. of like well uh, where are the heroes? Yeah. 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 Um, so with that being said, I think now is a good time to get out of the rewind and get into our picks. Let's go dark first. So why don't we start <laughs> with our <laughs> one star reviews and Alex, as our guests, we love to put our guests on the spot. Why don't you yeah. go first with your one star review? Tell us which film do you think didn't, make the grade okay 
<clears throat> I have one and then I have an honorable mention okay, just because okay. I've been decisive. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. My first one, it just felt wrong not picking this one versus any other. And it's got to be the Black Cauldron. It was so out of place compared to all the other ones. Like I can see where the dark elements they were going for in the Fox and the Hound, but they were like jumping the shark <laughs> with black cauldron and that. So uh, to hear the editing and just the, the drama behind the scenes, 44 million for such a flop, uh, it, like it felt wrong giving it to any other one. I presume my boy, you are the keeper of this oracular pig. Y yes, sir. Then instruct her to show me the whereabouts of the Black Cauldron. That being said, I have an honorable mention that I, this was the one I was deciding between, and I was like, I, I just got to mention both, I guess. <laughs> and it's Oliver and Company. I know we just got off of it, but it was another one that I was shocked to see just did so well and i wonder if that maybe played into why i w didn't like it as much is because when i got out of it i was very meh yeah and then when i started reading about it i was like whoa wait a minute what <laughs> why is this one like the, such a success it's wild though because it reflects a lot of i would say successful movies now that make mm. such little cultural impact there's yeah. no imp like if 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 one thinks back to the 80s and in disney movies like how low on like the yeah. list do you have to get to to get to fucking Oliver and Company? To, yeah. to me, it, it it lacks such style because it was chasing what was popular in the 80s. It was just like, yeah. you know, it, it just faded away. Um, so I I agree with that honorable <laughs> mention. Yeah. And and not those, just those are my one stars though. <laughs> and not just chasing what was popular in the 80s, but I think like the the mistake that they're or the lesson they're not learning from Don Bluth challenging them is an attempt to copy those things. And you mentioned like Black Cauldron has a lot of like, you can trace the lineage of Secret of Nim into Black Cauldron. And I think Oliver and Company, you can trace sort of the all dogs go to heaven. Now, Oliver and Company doesn't get quite as dark as all dogs yeah. go to heaven. <laughs> but I, I think there is that element there of like, well, you know, pushing the story, like pushing the limits of what stories you can tell, you know, mm, and yes, yeah. these are animals and it's for kids. But like the the emotional impact of a movie like All Dogs Go to Heaven, right. just, which well, does come out a year later. But like they both knew each what each other was working on. There's no way they yeah. did. Right. But uh -huh. like the, the emotional impact of something like that compared to Oliver and Company, which is just, you know, like I don't even know what the emotional arc of that is. We'll start on Columbus Avenue. What kind of work do we do anyway? Investment banking, man. <laughs> Didn't you read about us in the Wall Street Journal? Oliver and Company initially had a much darker beginning. It was a revenge oh. tale. And it oh. was the, that box of cats, it was supposed to be Oliver's parents and his siblings. And the Dobermans were supposed to eat them. That's and, right. Oh, I forgot. Oliver, and Oliver was going for revenge, which is why he hooks up with Fagin and, and Dodger. And it's like... That would have been way better. It's like, <laughs> but also it's like, it's like, oh, and I know that at this point, like, the nine old men are out of the picture. It's the new regime and everything. But it's like, oh, you can't kill a dog, but yeah. you can have <laughs> a two dogs eat a bunch of cats. <laughs> yeah. 
um okay gavin what's your one star review so i'm gonna go way out of the box because i, I agree with both of your picks i i <laughs> i like black cauldron and i will i will stick up for it but it's certainly not a five star review so it will not be getting that treatment from me <laughs> but i have to say 1973's robin hood really didn't do anything for me as an adult as a kid yeah. i loved it that stupid fucking whistle song that's become the like frog <laughs> meme the yeah the, yeah the hamster dance i mean yeah yeah like that but I think 1973's Robin Hood really gives in to sort of some of the worst impulses of the time. We mentioned the yeah. cost cutting, we mentioned the the bad uh, direction, but also it really fully has a feel of a lot of the films that were coming out of the time. You know, it has that sort of like lackadaisical, like I, for some reason my brain just kept thinking the original Longest Yard with Burt Reynolds. <laughs> and it, just, and it, just, it has that like Smokey and the Bandit quality. And so then I'm like watching it and I'm like, who is this for? Do kids like yeah. lax buddy comedies about mm-hmm. and like so much not consequence happens in that movie. So much is just like, and here's one thing and here's another thing yeah. <laughs> on, to- on top of the you mentioning too the the tracing of the animation. I also think that this movie owes so much to Michael Curtiz's Robin Hood from the 1930s, like genuinely mm-hmm. just stealing character design <laughs> costumes and and so yeah. it's like it, it is it just it, this movie feels like a mashup of all the worst impulses of all it's the almost like, creatively bankrupt yes yeah. yeah it's like walt's dead what the fuck do we do like <laughs> and super lazy it's like i said it was hard to watch as an adult yeah. the only reason i don't think i could have given it my one star was because I did really enjoy it as a kid. You know what I mean? Yes. I feel like I watched it several times, but as an adult, I like started, I was like questioning my taste. As a kid. I was like, Ooh, really? And, I mean, for, I was like, this was your, what are your faves? I would say for, a, I would almost argue for millennials writ large, this was our Robin hood, you know, like every yeah. generation yeah. has the go-to Robin hood. I, Ours was a fucking Fox. Well, I was going to say mm-hmm. this movie birthed 1 billion furries. Like, yes, this, absolutely. This, so like, yeah, that's literally, this is the root. This was the exact <laughs> um, moment. <laughs> uh, but I, once again, Peter Ustinov found innocent. So good yes, as Prince yes. John. You know something, Robin, I was just wondering, are we good guys or bad guys? You know, I mean, uh, are Robin the rich to feed the poor? Rob? That's a naughty word. We never rob. We just sort of borrow a bit from those who can afford it. Louis, what is your one-star review? <laughs> My one-star review is 81's Fox and the Hound. It, it pains me because there, I think that there's probably so much there, but I think it's my one-star review because this was the moment when they could have made the right decisions and could have saved them from so much grief. If they would have taken the risk... And said, you know what, Don Bluth, you're right. Let's push further. We can do better. And had Don and all of them stayed, if they had said, you know what, Chief does need to fucking die. You know, like there, there is a good animated movie here about friendship, about, you know, not being prejudiced, um, you know, about maturing into adulthood and, and friendship and stuff. And they fucking put their head in their ass and just like shot themselves in the foot. It's it's such a fucking profound um like fuck up, you know? And the Black Cauldron for as big a fuck up that is and I think it's fucking atrocious as well. But like they would not <laughs> Whatever, have guys, I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> Elonui. Um they just would not have been in that position if 
you know, they had taken the chance with the Fox and the Hound. And that was the last moment when there were some of the original nine men there who could have like, if they would have, I don't know, gotten rid of some of their pride, some of their ego. Like it just feels mm-hmm. like the, they were obviously trying so hard to grasp back to a Bambi like type situation. And it, it feels like, you know, two separate things. Boy, you've really grown. You have two copper. I saw you coming back with Chief and the Hunter. It's great to see you, Todd. But you know, you you shouldn't be over here. You're, you're going to get us both into a lot of trouble. Hey, look, I, I just wanted to see you. I just don't know that anyone actually learned anything in that movie. Right. Because in the end, that's fair. They kind they're of still all... separate, and they're still yeah. like, and it is one of those things where like they, they, the 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 ending is unfortunate because the lesson you learn is like, yeah, you can still be friends, but you still got to be separate because you just right. can't. There's some things you can't do mm. in society, and there. Are, oh yeah, yeah. I didn't it's, think of it I mean, that way. They, they all go their separate ways. It's kind of like it's that kind of like, well, just fucking keep away and like keep your business to yourself and that's we'll fine keep the peace yeah, yeah yeah it's very like don't ask don't tell type shit it's not mm. like you know the guy is like let's bring the fox over to the house and right. he's one of the yeah. dogs now that's not what happens you know like that should have been how it ended or he at least should have brought his new lady fox home to granny like yes. they should have been able to live all together but yeah they don't. i didn't like, think the, about the that. ending is very I'm glad like mm-hmm. it's it's just kind of like a cop out. They take the easy road in the storytelling. It's you know, and not that like that's the way the book ends or whatever. But like there, it feels like there's all these stakes for it to like just be this big nothing burger. You know, mm. I I will say to build off the idea that Robin Hood was the idea of like Walt's dead. What do we do? I think the Fox and the Hound is finally the place where the where the the remaining nine old men were like, well, Walt's dead. Here's what we do, and either you do it or you don't. And right. that was, yeah. and that's the problem. And I think you, you're right. And so they're just making these, these grand assumptions, and it's just not, it's not it, girl. It's not it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say, I almost considered this as my five star review. I didn't really? end up going with wow. it, but you have convinced me <laughs> wow. that that was the right choice not to go with it. We love the but discourse. I'll be honest, it it made me really emotional. It's emotional. And I think part of it was my girlfriend was sobbing. It is emotional. And so I was like, man, any movie that can make me and her this emotional, like, you know, it, it is good in that. But you've convinced me that the ending did not uh, stick it like it should I, have. I, I have said many times on the show, I'm a very emotional movie watcher. And like, well, yeah, when mm, she drops so off, <laughs> when she drops him off in the forest, I was like, fuck, this is sad. Like, I must have bawled yeah. as a kid. Like, I, oh, yeah. I was on the verge of like, I'm going to lose it if this dog dies, which is a good thing. Right. And then and then they don't. And I'm like, oh, then what the fuck is the point? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Is there anything else we want to mention that was maybe like not our favorites? I think for me, it, it was like Oliver and Company, Black Cauldron, and um, Fox and the Hound were like the three mm-hmm. worst offenders. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I'll agree with that. Okay. All right. Well, that makes this easy. Let's head into our five star reviews. Alex, what do you got? Yes. So for me, like I said, I did consider the fox and the hound based on how emotional it made me but after reviewing um and you know i uh he's reviewed the tapes (laughs) i've reviewed the tapes reviewed the footage um and so i've realized now we're not going to put the jungle book in because i think that would be everyone's uh, five (laughs) star so uh we're not including that but uh my five star after much thinking and reviewing 
have to go with the rescuers. Now, I think this is maybe a random pick, but this one held up the best, in my opinion. It was enjoyable to watch. The stakes felt real. And it was very like, you know, David versus Goliath. Like, they're just these two tiny mice. Yeah. How are they going to take on evil bank robbers and alligators? Mm-hmm. Like, it it was really, like I said, I only had a little bit of memory of watching it as a kid. But re-watching it, it was probably the one I had the most joy out of. And um, I just think it did a lot of things right movie-wise, style-wise. It was dark, but not too dark. Um, and... You know, besides the orphan shaming at the end, um, it's it's a really good movie. I I really like that pick. I I really loved the rescuers after watching it this time. I remember loving it as a kid too. But this, mm-hmm. like seeing it now as an adult, I agree. I think it holds up really well. I really love Ava Gabor's um, incredible, yes. incredible, She's so good. And then also just being like the Hungarian represent, like allowing her to be Hungarian yeah. to like live in her own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the international feel, even yeah. though it's in the U.S., they, it's good. Well, that was it's really good. Well, that was one of the things I was going to mention when you brought that up earlier, and that I totally forgot too. This was like one of the first like American positive animated depictions of Arab yes. culture, and that it's yes. just yes. people at the like UN of the mice. Anyways, um, the UN of the mice. The UN. The, <laughs> um, Bob Newhart's performance as Bernard, I love it. And also, yeah. what's great about this movie is if you think about it in terms of like political. At the time, Miss Bianca has way more agency than Bernard does. She's the one who's yeah. constantly solving things, constantly rushing into danger. And also... Feminist icon. Feminist icon. And Penny is a girl who is actively working to try and save herself at every yep. moment. There's yep. not a not prince... Not a damsel in a... Yeah. Yep. There's not a prince that's coming to get her. It is literally her working towards her own freedom. Penny, do not don't cry. We are here to help you. Hi. Where'd you come from? We found the bottle with with your message, and we've come to rescue you. Did you hear that, Teddy? I brought a word. There's a tragedy um, around this movie, because when you think, like, no one is looking for this girl except for two mice. There are no humans out there who, because she is such, like, an orphan. She is off the map. No one gives a shit about this little girl. It's it's wild. Tragic. It's tragic. But this also, while we're talking about the music, to me, what really struck out here is the music is such an enhancement mm-hmm. of like the story and, and the thing, not just like a detractment or even like at points in the Jungle Book. The music feels like almost out of place and like yeah. taking you out of the story at times. This one always felt like it was progressing the story or like part of the story. Like you said, it, it captured the tragedy or it's like just, high drama. It, it, yeah, it's really well done. It didn't like take you out of the moment at all. Uh, Gavin, what's your five star review? So I think if you know me, this is probably no secret. I mean, I'm a huge Vincent Price fan. We did an entire episode about him a couple years ago. So of course, my five star review is The Great Mouse Detective. Um, mm-hmm. I love this movie. I'm not even the world's biggest Sherlock Holmes fan because I find him a little annoying because his whole shtick is that he just <laughs> happens to know the one thing that nobody else knows. He's a know-it-all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I think this movie plays that very well. Like, I think this movie, like, my fa- it, like picks up my, fa- my favorite thing about Sherlock Holmes, which is that, he like... He hates people. <laughs> he, he, well, no, he's just, like... 
it's not like a personality disorder. It's not like a form of like enhancement. Right. He's just kind of an asshole. And yeah, there's literally a, a scene towards the end of the movie where <laughs> Professor Radigan, the villain of the film, voiced by Vincent Price, outsmarts him and he goes into a depression so bad that he yeah. almost gets them killed. Yeah. He's just yeah. like, I'm not the yeah. smartest guy in the room. What the ego. fuck is this? That's yeah. <laughs> all. Oh, how could I have been so blind? We all make mistakes, but we can't let that stop us. We have Raticum's to. proved he's more clever than I. He would never have walked into such an obvious trap. Oh, pull yourself together. Professor Radigan, who is the Moriarty of the film, yeah. to replace the mouse queen, who is yes. going to put Professor Radigan in charge of all of the mice. The thing is, is Professor Radigan plan. is not a mouse himself. He is he's a rat. A rat. And, he's and he very, hates being called a rat. He's very touchy about it. Yeah. <laughs> the um, funny thing, I thought it was interesting. Like, I had never seen the whole movie. I was like, why is the bat the same size as a mouse? And then also when they go to, like, the club, there's an octopus. And he is a teeny tiny octopus. He's a I was way disproportional. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I guess maybe it's a baby octopus. I was like, the, but then should he be drinking? <laughs> right, right. Okay, but also in that same section, there's like sexy burlesque mice. Yes, and I was like, mm. this is too aggressive for children. <laughs> so, so the sexy, the sexy burlesque mice was actually one of the first like Michael Eisner like. Katzenberg decisions and they were like originally you know the the song that had been written for that scene was like a big British music hall type and they were like no that's boring kids don't like that and literally Michael Eisner was like they should go there and Michael Jackson as a mouse should be there and he was met with (laughs) such silence that he was like or another idea I don't know (laughs) right so then he was like Madonna and they were like no um and so they bring in melissa manchester and they write her the song let me be good to you and that scene i will admit maybe a little out of place uh, i'm I'm not mad about it i i I was just like oh this is aggressive like and also i mean like the song is literally like drink your beer boys i'll give you whatever you want not very disney no i did note that i was like ooh. Um, um, vincent price is at his most camp he is Mm -hmm. living it up he had to audition for this role and he said uh because he was 70 at the time he was like i wouldn't have done it if it was anyone else other than disney right so he, yeah he's he some fucking price exactly yeah he he came in he auditioned he's having so much fun radigan is this big hulking rat uh he's so effete and so charming and like super coded as queer my friends we are about to embark on the most odious, the most evil, the most diabolical scheme of my illustrious career. A crime to top all crimes, a crime that will live in infamy. I also love the the use of CG in this movie because mm-hmm. unlike the you know the places where it feels sort of inappropriate in the Black Cauldron or Oliver mm-hmm. and Company, mm-hmm. the entire Big Ben sequence is the gears. Yes. Yeah, beautiful movie. That sequence is fucking terrifying. Radigan is horrifying, ripping out of his fucking suit. When he turns into like an actual rat. It's feral. Yeah. Yeah. I I was feral is a good word for it. (laughs) I I was like, oh my God. Like, and and he's like scratching the shit out of poor little Basil. I was like, Basil. Different time for Disney. Yeah. I'm into it. I was like, Basil, 
I would say like in most modern Disney movies, like the rat would fall and that would be it. But good pick, Gavin. I, I like we said, I mm-hmm. think it's a, one of the most beautiful pictures of this era. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. My five star pick. I don't know if this counts or not, but I don't care. I am going to go with um, 1977's The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. I think it counts. counts. I watched it. (laughs) I watched it too, yeah. Well, only because it's like three shorts put together, but I think it's- Disney counts it, we count it. There you go. (laughs) I think it also does work though, because they did add like the the ending of the movie is only as a part of this. So The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, like we mentioned earlier, is- made up of three shorts that had been released before Disney was kind of like building up excitement for um, the character, especially in the United States, because Winnie the Pooh as a book was popular in the UK, but wasn't really known in the U S. Um, I, I think, you know, I remember what, like you, Alex, like this was my shit. Mm-hmm. My little sister like was obsessed with this and I watched it oh, all, yeah. all the time with her. And as I got to like researching and, and learning a little bit about how they made this movie and, and you know, how Disney wanted the rights for them and they were having to decide, you know, there's, there's pretty iconic illustrations already for these characters and Disney went back and forth. Like, should we go with these, you know, illustrations? Should we recreate them? They decided to do their own thing because they needed to like, see them like doing all sorts of different things and not just the illustration stuff. Um, and it's just, when you think of like iconic characters, it's really hard to like, you know, get do better than Winnie the fucking Pooh and the entire yeah. cast. Um, I think I read somewhere like Winnie the Pooh is it's more popular than Mickey Mouse uh, worldwide yeah. is like, I think right behind Hello Kitty and far as far as like sales and merchandise and stuff. It's just like a worldwide phenomenon. Um, but this movie is just such a jewel um, it is beyond charming. I remembered every single song. Uh, charming. I am round, fat, proud of that when I'm in the mood. Um, tut, tut looks like rain. I To this day, I say tut, tut looks like rain. And like, yeah. for no reason, like, it's just because it's in my head. It's ingrained it's in, in it, you. it really is ingrained. Um, they, I think it's very, very funny. I think Eeyore is hilarious. I think yeah. Piglet is hilarious. Kanga and Rue when they're like trying to put his tail back and they say I think yeah. the, the decision to say I think it's a little south for the longest <laughs> time I was like why did they say south just say like low or like you know to the left whatever south um, I think Owl is fucking hilarious the guy who won't mm-hmm. shut the fuck up but yeah. like it I just think there is so much charm in each of these little things um, but it also is just so imaginative. The whole section with Tigger and he's like having this like dream sequence and the heffalumps and woozles. The yes. heffalumps and the... the terrifying when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Terrifying. Beware, beware, be a very, very bear. A heffalump or woozle is very confusal. The heffalump or woozle's very sly. 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 It gives me the like the Gilmore Girls chuckle where it's like, that's kind of smart. <laughs> you know, like it's just, it, it, that was the vibe of it. It's just so calming. Um, you instantly love these characters, but then the gut punch of the ending of Christopher Robin having to go away, he's going to school mm-hmm. yeah. and he's walking with Pooh and says, when I'm far away doing nothing, Pooh will promise you won't forget me. And Pooh promise you won't forget me. 
never? Oh, I won't, Christopher. I promise. To me, it feels like saying goodbye to Walt Disney. Like, it's the end mm-hmm. of, you know, like, Walt Disney, the person. Um, and, you know, it's, it is so heartwarming. It's like this, this movie is like a bowl of soup. Um, I think it looks beautiful. I I was going to say that it's like chicken noodle soup. The music in this, um, every character is represented by a single instrument. Yes. You know, very Peter and the wolf. Yeah, very Peter and the Wolf. And so, like, whenever you you see Rabbit, it's a clarinet playing. Whenever you see Kangaroo, it's like an oboe. Like, it's, I never caught that. It's just like there's a lot of visual and and um, auditorial information that is so smart, um, and it feels like you know Disney said we're gonna make a fucking we are gonna make a classic thing that people are gonna never forget, and it just like works on every single level. Um, I love Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> I think as a kid, I identified a lot with Eeyore, which probably does not shock you. But I I think watching it as an adult now, I was like, I am very Pooh Bear. Probably gonna rain. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. I was like, and also as an adult, I was like, I kind of feel bad for Rabbit. Rabbit's a bit of an asshole, but like, (laughs) he just doesn't want to be bothered. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I'm kind of a rabbit. I'm kind of a rabbit. Yeah. Um, I also, I also really like, um, they added the, the character of the, the The gopher. gopher. Yeah. The gopher. And the lines where he says, I'm not in the book, but I'm at your service. Like, that's so funny that is like, so funny i was i will say though i did i was like i was like oh this this gopher who like wants to talk about rates but won't tell you and blah blah blah, blah. i was yeah. like this is definitely <laughs> like walt disney's anti-union wet dream like, right 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 <laughs> absolutely absolutely um well that's great a, pick. yeah that's a great pick before we get into our fast forward we should take a moment to do our mixed reviews review so my one star review was 1973's Robin Hood. My one-star review is 1981's The Fox and the Hound. My one-star review is 1985's Black Cauldron. My five-star review is 1986's The Great Mouse Detective. My five-star review is 1977's The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. My five-star review is 1977's The Rescuers. All right, let's get into our fast forward. It's interesting to think about, like, revisiting these, you know, the reappraisal of these movies. You know, I do think that there there is absolutely a huge contingency of people who live, laugh, love the Black Cauldron and want <laughs> the, like, Katzenberg, you know, unedited version. Yeah. Somehow, magically, it'll be better. I don't think that's the case. Um, no, but, but it will be longer, and I'm it's in the that Snyder case. cut. The Snyder of cut. Batman. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Katzenberg <laughs> release the Katzenberg yeah. cut. Like, I, but I think it's. I mean, you know, we talked about this at the very beginning. You know, even revisiting something like the Aristocats and being like, we can be critical of these things, and we can be critical of you know, uh, some of the fucking blatant racism and insensitivities of these movies and still appreciate them for what they were. Um, and so I do think like now that they are all for now available to everyone on Disney plus it's, I think, do you guys, do you guys think like, this is like, they have earned the name, like the, the bronze era. Like I, a part of me is like, there are some like really good stuff in here. If I don't know that like the movies deserve it. I want. I think like the animation yeah. studio itself, like the behind the scenes, like the darkness is coming from within. I <laughs> thought of this. 
exact thing that you're asking because i was like man there's some gems in here there's some all-timers in here it's it's a shame to call it the bronze era i think it's the combination of a couple of flops and it's all the internal turmoil and i I do think a big part of it is like the death of walt disney yeah it's just an era marker and things were in a little bit of a tizzy whether it, it showed on screen or not um, it, it, you know, in some of these movies, it definitely shows in others. You can't tell. And they're just as good as, you know, any other Disney film you, you, you'd expect to see. But I, I do think you brought up a really interesting point too earlier when you said, you know, Fox and the Hound, they really was really an inflection point where they mm-hmm. really could have turned into a studio that was maybe doing something more interesting or, or maybe pushing the boundaries and, and doing, you know, th- after Walt Disney died, except for like Fantasia 2000, which I like, but is a little bit fan servicey. Like no, nobody at Disney was really pushing animation forward in an interesting, weird sort of way. And the black culture was clearly like a big misstep. And so I, I would be, it'd be interesting to, to be able to take a time machine and go back and see what Disney mm-hmm. could have become if it hadn't become so much about the money and yeah. so yeah. much about like, Oh well, we will make these things because they generate the most profit for us, and instead of taking any sort of chance. Because I agree I with think... the animators that like looked at Oliver and Company were like another fucking dog movie. Yeah, I think that what we see here, forming the money over the art sort of era, is really ingrained in all of Disney now. Yes, I think we see it with Marvel. I think we see it with Star Wars. I think we see it with just about every property that they own. It is like a burn and churn machine. And a, a big one for me is I don't know if you guys are watching any of the Disney plus Marvel or Star Wars shows. Those are just the a lot of them are just like abominations. It's just a money grab at, at its simplest form. Oh, so you saw Moon Knight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's like it, it's. There's good things in them, but hell no, they did not need to be six episodes. Yeah. It's just so it, we span two months and we pay two months worth of Disney+. Plus. You, you know, it's funny because th- that now that you specifically said that, I was like, oh, I wonder when we're going to hit that era. And you're right. I think we're I think we're in it. I think mm-hmm. I think they hit that era really fast with Star Wars, too. And I know I yeah. don't want to even like don't come at me, Star Wars fans. I don't care. It's not my thing. <laughs> you can come at me. I'll take it. <laughs> but but the the like when they did let a director try something when they did let a director come in and be like i'm gonna do my thing yeah. and, and be interesting and like try and change up the thing while also being very reverent was ryan johnson and when it didn't yep. work they were like fuck they, it scrap oh, it all never mind yeah like yeah well, i guess we're a bunch of tv shows now and like once again i like i didn't like the book of boba fett i was like is this no, necessary so it yeah, so, bad. so you're right. It does feel like we're, but because, because as a society, we hit these things faster and faster. Now everything, you know, they always say that like everything mm-hmm. is speeding up, uh, yeah. like they're hitting those walls with Marvel, with mm-hmm. Star Wars much sooner than they did. Because once again, like Disney was around for 40 years before they got to this point where they were, yeah. you know, hitting this wall of the audiences aren't connecting with the stuff that we're putting in front of them. I think it's interesting also though, because like the era of like the bronze age, like you don't think of, and I I bring this up just to go, you know, compare and contrast to like the Renaissance. The Renaissance was basically like, let's introduce the American musical to children. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and that very 
simple story of like, what does this person want? What is their struggle? And tell it through song and we're going to sing about it and dance and it's to be like a grand spectacle. You get that a little bit in the Aristocats, but even the Aristocats, these cats don't want anything, you know, right. the, ac- <laughs> the action happens to them, you know, they're yes. taken away and they're just trying to find their way home. Um, in the Renaissance, these movies are about characters who want something. They, yes. they are going on a hero's journey, right? And you see an, an emotional arc that is easy to follow and, um, you know, to go on with them. And I think with a lot of the bronze era movies, it's like, it's hard to find any of that. There's a lit, like what's wild is in the black cauldron. Like it literally is a fucking hero's journey. Like, yeah, but they (laughs) are just too mired in figuring out the tone, the style, the feel of anything that they can't fucking literally nationals platter. Hello. Like it's, (laughs) yeah, it's so funny that you mentioned that because then I was thinking about like Robin Hood. Why the one of the reasons why I don't like Robin Hood so much is because it's so muddled that literally part of the hero's journey is like little John being like, Hey, are we the heroes? And Robin Hood being like, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And so I just think like, you know, rediscovering storytelling via song and connecting that with the animation you know it, it was just like a bumpy road and i i think it is interesting to go back though and like because even though love the renaissance i think because of the success of that then we got fucking animated movies after those 10 years that like would not shut the fuck up always yeah. so loud <laughs> always so crazy always yeah, the, like that that is what fans call the postmodern era i believe and oh. or post post renaissance era and yeah it is it's loud it's just, it's just loud. It's just like everything needs to be over the top. There's no like sensitive beauty that's happening anymore. I mean, literally open the opening credits for the rescuers is maybe one of the most beautiful like things I've ever seen. So yeah. gorgeous, luscious. And it's, it's so good. And it's just like the bottle that says, help me. That's yeah. floating. And it's traveling, traveling. I was like, Oh my God. It's just, it's, it's, it's great. Um, that we, and we don't get that much anymore. Um, and so I, I, for, for the listeners out there who perhaps are hearing this and saying, oh, the Bronze Era, why the fuck would I watch those? Right. I would <laughs> say I, I do like the name The Dark Age because what comes after The Dark Age? The Renaissance. It brings yeah. everything into light. You know? uh, but I will say, like, they're, these movies are worth revisiting. I will say they're all really short. Yes. Quick and sweet. Yeah. Uh, it was easy to get through them all. I never, besides the Black Cauldron, none of them really <laughs> felt like a slog. <laughs> I had to take one listen. Last yeah, <laughs> but I think this, like, as far as like you know, fast forward looking ahead, I think you know some of these movies will continue standing the test of time. Some of them will continue to fade away, but I think at least for now, they're available for us to you know watch. I. God help us when, you know, we get the live action fucking Aristocats coming at us. And like, you know, when we yeah, start, no, it's going to When like, I mean, God literally. They're, they're planning a live action, but like com- CG combined Robin Hood. So like, oh, it's happening. Uh, wow. It's already happening. Like the that doesn't need to happen no. at all. When they do their like dark, hot topic-y Black Cauldron like series on Disney yeah. Plus. <laughs> God help us all. Um but, you know, I think it's also just, like, useful and helpful to know, you know, that it hasn't always been, like, sunshiny roses over in Disney era world. And um, I think without this identity crisis, Disney does not become who they are today. Yeah, I think that's Absolutely. true. Absolutely. 
and God bless. <laughs> it is an identity crisis, though. Um, <laughs> it's a phase. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a phase. Uh, I think that wraps up Disney's Bronze Age slash the Dark Age. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, this is your moment to plug anything you want. You have as much time as you want. Tell us where can the people yeah. find you online? Oh, yeah, of course. I love well, first off, thank you guys for having me. This was a lot of fun. Love talking animation. It's part of what I do. My podcast with my buddy, I mentioned it earlier, is called Two Dudes Watch Cartoons. Um, you can find us like on TikTok, Instagram at Two Dudes uh, Watch Cartoons. Um, you know, we post a lot of stuff there. We're on every major uh, podcast platform, uh, also on you now, which is fun. But uh, yeah, I would say if you're, you're interested in TV and movie at all, that would be the place to go check me out. We have a long catalog of animated uh, film and TV shows that we've covered now. So I just uh, I just love talking about nerdy shit with uh, people who love talking about nerdy <laughs> shit, too. So I, uh, this was a blast. Snaps. This was like a, a fun homework assignment because yes. <laughs> like for me, I'm very much always looking at like where animation is at currently and like what's going on with that. I've never really taken such like a deep dive into such a past topic. So this was uh, this was a lot of fun and I appreciate you guys. Fun. Oh, thanks, Alex. We uh, really enjoyed having you here. I mean, the way you said it like the best, like a fun homework assignment. That's kind yes. of like, yeah, that's I kind do. of our bag. I was going to say, I do love yeah. every guest that comes on is like, this was homework. And I'm like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. Um, no, I enjoyed it, though. Excellent. Well, if you want to find us online, you can always find us on Twitter at at the mixed reviews. We're on Facebook. Just type in the mixed reviews. If you want to email us, you can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. On Instagram, we are the underscore mix underscore reviews. And if you want to continue listening to us like you have this entire episode, you can find us on any major podcast platform. We're on Apple, Spotify, Audible, Stitcher, Google, Amazon. And if you do listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please stop by, leave us a five-star rating, and write a little review. That's right. I said five stars. It helps us, the algorithm, whatever, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You don't want to hear about it We're not in our bronze era, okay, honey? This is no, the renaissance. Yeah. We're in our Beyonce renaissance, okay? <laughs> no mixed reviews on the review section, please. Thank you. Exactly. Thank you, Alex. Until <laughs> next time, though, we'll see you guys and uh, enjoy these. I'm going to claim it now. The dog days of summer. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Goodbye. So soon. And isn't this a crime? We know by now the time knows how to fly. So here's goodbye. So soon. I'm so short, I'll say so long and go so soon, <laughs> goodbye.